And we begin with good day, sir. <laughs> Geeks come in all shapes and sizes. Um, and that they come into all kinds of things. <laughs> uh, I was thinking more about the satanic panic. By the scholar Gary Gygax. Well, wait, hold on. I said good day, sir. Not defending Roman slavery by any no, stretch, by but... Oh God, that's bad. Let them vote. Fuck off. <laughs> when historians, and especially British historians, yeah. want to get cute. Oh, it's, it's in there. Uh, okay. it, it is not worth the journey. This is a Geek History in Time. Where we connect history, where we connect geekery, rather, to the real world. Geekery to history. Yeah, it's okay. As I it called were. it a Geek History in Time. Yeah, it's a Geek History of Time. So, so we're yeah. going to keep it going. This yeah, we is are. raw yeah. and uncut. Yeah. So, so. Um, <laughs> I have been a... Who are you? Nerd. My name is Ed Blaylock. <laughs> I've been a nerd since uh, birth, really. Uh, I come by it genetically. My father was a Heinlein fan, and had geekery been a thing when in his youth, uh, he, he would have been playing Dungeons and Dragons like I was nice. later on. Have you gotten him to play with you? No. Oh. No. He he was too set in his sure. naval officer ways by the time I got to that age, but he would sit around and watch us play, and he did think it was pretty cool. Neat. Neat. So... How about you? Uh, well, I'm Damien Harmony. Uh, I have been a geek uh, most of my life as well. Um, was pulled into it by Dungeons and Dragons in the 1980s, but also was really into things like GI Joe. Uh, oh, yeah. Less so the Transformers, actually, and and oh, no Robotech or anything like that. Yeah, okay. I know, but it was a style choice, I guess. But yeah. I was a real nerd uh, into like history. I remember one of the first books I can remember reading when I moved to Florida. When I was a, a young lad, was the biography of Eleanor Roosevelt's early life. And how old were you at that point? Ten. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it cool. Though. Beat That's, dating my cousin. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, you know, and when you're living in that part of Florida, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I've been a teacher for at least 16 years now. I'm a Latin teacher currently. Yep. I used to be a social science teacher. Yep. Got a, a master's degree in women's history. What about you? Well, um, I don't have a master's degree in anything yet, but I did get a bachelor's degree in history, focusing primarily in Western Europe, secondarily mm. in East Asia, mm. and then a little bit in American history, which basically trained me perfectly for my current job, which is teaching middle school world history. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that's, that's, right. that's my background. <laughs> yeah, and that's, I, that's I, had a friend, I had a friend who was a biologist who became a chemist. Well, yeah, you know, that's, and that's I, I'm a Latinist see, now. Yeah, see, the sciences are like that. The sciences, <laughs> yeah. that's like normal. It's yeah. like, well, what'd you get your degree in? Well, geology. What are you doing now? I'm a lab tech working yeah. in genetics. Yeah, like, yeah. Wait, what? Wow. So yeah. So what what have you brought for uh, us to talk about today? I want to talk about something really, really gross. All right. Yeah, I'm down with it. Yeah. Um, so you know I your comic books. I got books? a head packed full of stuff, like a Venezuelan <laughs> ballot box, as I said earlier. I want to get that joke in here because I think it's funny. Yeah. Yeah. So gross. I'm good with yes comics. Yeah. Good. I, okay. On me. So, uh, who is the grossest superhero you've ever seen? Oh Lord. In Marvel. Super, keep it. Keep it Marvel. Superhero or villain? Uh, either. Okay. Either. Um. Just I'm going to preclude that with the fact that you're wrong. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. Really? Yeah. So who's the grossest? The grossest. Yeah. Grossest? I'm going to go with... Uh, I'm going to go with Blob. Nope. No? Fantastic Four. Really? Fantastic Four are gross. Yeah, they are gross. 
and that's dude, no i'm yeah, sorry they're I'm so gross right there that's heresy johnny storm <laughs> uh-huh dude hella gross hella okay hella gross all right so yeah. now so, that you've spoken this heresy <laughs> you need to you need to convince me that it's heterodoxy quickly <laughs> fair enough because well, i've got an hour at the table <laughs> I, this right. better happen so this one is titled uh the fantastic four is gross y'all and that's why it worked as one of the most subversive comic books of the 1960s accidentally Okay. So, um, never thought of it as being particularly <laughs> subversive at all. Incredibly, it's one of the most oh. subversive comics there was. All right. Yeah. Preach it, brother. <laughs> Lay it on. Okay. You have my undivided attention. All right. So Sherman set the Wayback Machine for 1961. <laughs> we should do an an episode need, on we, Rocky yeah. and Bullwinkle. We, we really need, need to, to. We talk really about subversive. <laughs> oh, see, yeah. Jesus. Yeah, you get no yeah. argument from me there. <laughs> So it's 1961. Yes. All right. Uh, superheroes are back. Yeah. As you all might recall from Why My Dad Hates Adlai Stevenson. <laughs> Indeed. The Comic Code Authority. Uh, DC has a cool thing going with its team. It's got Justice League. Oh, yeah. At this point, where it combines all sorts of really top-notch heroes. Yeah. Uh, to the team best up. of the best. Yeah. Uh, Superman, for instance. Batman, Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Aquaman was part of it at that point in history. Um, Aquaman. Yeah. Well, the list I've got is Crimson Green Lantern. Tornado, Green Lantern. Flash. Flash. Martian Manhunter. Oh, yeah. John yeah, Jones. John, John Jones. Which just John Jones. Weird. John yeah. Jones. Yeah. Wonder Woman, who was originally their secretary. She originally signed on as their secretary. Boy, what yeah. an artifact of the time. <laughs> Boy, and now, and now in the current Justice League uh-huh. franchise, she's like the hardest badass of all of them. Well, she's she's like, Sigourney Weaver. Yes, she's she's the working girl who worked yes. her way so up. There you go. You know? I like it. That works. Um, Batman. Oh yeah. Aquaman and yeah. Superman. Okay. Okay. So they had them, and they fought bad guys. Yeah. Uh, they all had their own there. identities. They all yeah. had their own comic books still. So, yeah. um, and and so they're just kind of tossed together as kind of the the all star team. You know, yeah. like so, and baseball, you had all star teams, by the way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and guys would come together Football and play. Football hadn't started doing an all star game. No, they, they don't they, get the they, Pro they Bowl the going Pro Bowl for, a while. Happen for a while. And even even so, it, 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 it there's no point to it. But yeah. in baseball, it decides who gets home field advantage. Like yeah. they've built stuff into it. Originally, yeah. the baseball all star team, I don't know if you know this, was to raise money for Ty Cobb, who got suspended for beating up a fan because the fan compared him to a black person. And all the players were like, okay, he made it gone too far, but the fan had no business uh, putting that kind of a diss on him. Wow. So it's like 18 layers of, of horrible. Oh, horrible. Yeah, it really yeah. is. So Yeah. Wow. Uh, so, yeah. When the commissioner is actually the good guy. You yeah. Know? Um, but it's, yeah. it's because most of the players from Detroit were from Georgia. And they're playing Which, in Detroit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just, just we might do an episode on, on baseball. Right, yeah, we're going to have to. <laughs> So yeah. or there, two because yeah, there's yeah. multiple layers. Well, I'd of, say nine. Yeah, just, you know, nice. Stretch the seven and a half episode well, out. We'll play. It. Thank yeah, you. I like it. Um, but and we'll bring someone in uh, to do one of the episodes as a as designated. A relief. Yeah. yeah, designated. Yeah. yeah. So because we'll good. do American League. I like it. But anyway, uh, these players, they're all kind of just tossed together mm-hmm. on this all-star team to sell one more mag, one more comic. Yeah. Um, and people love that, but it wasn't a team like a team like it's it's similar to baseball all-star teams where it's like oh they all play it on the field in the same way but they didn't have chemistry they well and, and they don't they don't really spend a lot of time at all practicing together and a lot right. of the time they're busy playing against each other mm-hmm. same you thing know, with these and, heroes yeah and yeah. then and then when you get them all together everyone wants to be the star mm-hmm. 
And, so, you know, yeah. they, they, you, you end up with all kinds of interesting. Well, so Marvel's behind the curve on yeah. this one. Um, they've got cool superheroes, too. They yeah. do. But they don't have any big teams. And yeah. they don't have any superheroes really with their own issues yet. And yeah. they've got Journey into Mystery. Yeah. And they've got, you know, a, a few other things like that Thor and Ant-Man yeah. show up on. Um, so they're behind the curve. Uh, Stan Lee. Um, and I'm going to probably reference Stan Lee more than anyone else just because in the yeah. popular zeitgeist. And that's, I that's fully recognize... Of, yeah. That all, all of the other creators <clears throat> on the list. Right. And I fully yeah. recognize that uh, his history is problematic with other comic creators. book writers and creators and yeah. stuff. But just for, for shorthand, we're going to say Stan Lee when, when we talk about them. And, and Jack Kirby. So... Um, Stanley was told by the head of Marvel to come mm-hmm. up with a team since the JLA was selling so well for DC. Stanley uh, gave a set of ideas to Jack Kirby, and Kirby ran with it. Now, this is according to multiple sources, and different sources have different stories. Mm-hmm. Depends on whose side you take. Okay. Um, I've, I've heard it once said that Stan Lee made Marvel Comics with mm-hmm. a capital M and a capital C, and uh, Jack Kirby made Marvel Comics. Mm-hmm. With a capital M and a little C, mm-hmm. um, and I—it's probably right. That's, that's a pretty good analogy. Yeah, yeah. So, at the very creation, you got the Fantastic Four, right? And they, uh, well, I mean, you—you you look at them, right? And it's—it's yeah. four white folk, uh, one guy with slightly graying temples, mm-hmm. um, a a woman with a bob cut, her little brother also a blonde. Um, and uh, their their squat short friend who then becomes squatter and shorter but orange. And I'll get into that. Yeah. And Rocky. Yeah. Um, if you look at them all, they're actually really grotesque. Uh, they most of them present as normal, but they're grotesque. And this is what I'm talking about. They're gross. They are grotesque okay. characters. Um, so the very creation of the FF was the first strike for this idea of grotesqueness. Or I guess grotesque, um, grotesquery. Ro- yeah, gro- grotesquitude. So yeah, yeah, I think it's something. grotesquery. Oh, the really? French, yeah, the French do weird stuff. <coughs> That's where we get the word from. So so yeah, uh, look <clears throat> at the, uh, but also look at the the heroes in in the Fantastic Four. None of them are Steve Reeves lookalikes. None of them are these incredible bodies, these Physical bodybuilder specimens. bodies. Right, they're skinny or they're squat. Or she's kind of pretty, but pinched faced. You know, yeah. like there's, yeah, no, I yeah. none of them are these idealized figures. Yes. like we see Captain America being like right. We see well, like uh, we see in the JLA. Yeah, Just League so of America like is filled with classically handsome bodies. Superman and Wonder Woman being the most obvious. But if you look at any of the heroes there, they're all good looking. Even John Jones, um, like his body is amazing. You yeah. know, um, but the Fantastic Four. Um, they don't look heroic. Reed was skinny. Sue was curvy, but not particularly skin showing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Johnny, Johnny was covered in flames. Well, and and even in his in his human form, he yeah. was you know a good enough looking kid, but it was really clear he was you know a kid. A kid. He yeah. Was a, you know, late late teenager. Yeah. And then and, uh, and Ben Ben Grimm. He's a big ugly mess. Was yeah. Even when in he was human. So many ways. So. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, if you look at them as their hero forms. Sue is covered pretty much neck to, to toes. Yes. Um, so not shown off skin. Reed is skinny, not muscular. Um, ben is made of orange rocks. Uh, and Johnny is covered in flames. Okay, yeah. so that's their, that's how they present. Yeah. Uh, I would also point out, actually, that um, uh, Ben 
the thing is covered in orange rocks, a secondary color, which actually is important. And I'll, I'll kind of get into that in a little bit. Um, so uh, it's probably a good idea to uh, define grotesque and classical yeah. first. Yeah. Yes. So, And I'm going to circle back around to why grotesque is, is how I describe them in a little bit. So uh, grotesque is, um, is defined usually as comically or repulsively ugly mm-hmm. or distorted. Okay. Okay. So uh, a very ugly or comically distorted figure. Okay. Yes, is a grotesque. Right. Uh, the bizarre, distorted, unnatural, incongruous, mm-hmm. fantastic. Uh, too physically unreal to be anywhere near the ideal. Okay. okay. Classical is a nod to the ancients uh, who depicted the human form in its ideal state, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting because the Romans didn't do that. They were like, no, no, put me on warts and all. Like, yeah. you know. Yeah. But the, the Greeks were all about that. Oh, idealization. Yeah. Plato's cave. Exactly. You know, Um, and and we like that in our statuary as well. We took all the pockmarks out of George Washington and Mm -hmm. most of his statues. Um, Well-developed upper torso, strong arms, heroic posing. uh, Mm -hmm. Too physically ideal to be anywhere near real. Mm -hmm. The Fantastic Four, they wear simple costumes. Yes. They're just bodysuits, which they don't even appear particularly skin tight. No, as a Um, matter of fact. But they do show off very little skin, too. Uh, they don't wear masks, which no, is interesting. They don't. they don't have hidden identities. No. Uh, and they don't get along. <laughs> which is is a very big, major part of the writing development, mm-hmm. especially at that phase. Because yes. uh, the JLA was everybody, everybody got along. That, that was, I mean, the very roots of the whole idea of Batman and Superman being best buds. Right. Uh, which, you know, carried on forever. Yeah. And... Uh, <clears throat> hit a nadir point uh, when Frank Miller wrote decided uh, to go dark decided to go yeah. way dark and then you know has been reintroduced in in more recent storylines mm-hmm. where the two of them are presented I, I like the depth of the newer storylines because they're presented as being each other's uh, Freudian mirrors yes and and I think there's something really meaningful and, and really great to that. They both represent each but, other's ideals and nadirs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and however, when we're talking about the early JLA, it was just well, you know, we're all we're all good guys. Do, we're all good guys. We all wear primary colors. We all we're wear fine. Primary colors. Well, yeah. gray. Don't know. But the rest of his he's blue and yeah, blue he was, he was mostly blue and yellow. The, the the cape, the mass, the mass that you looked at was yeah. mostly the cape and the cowl, which was yeah. blue, and then his logo, which was yellow. Right. Yeah. yeah. And soups so, had all three. Yeah, Wonder Woman had uh, all three. three. Uh, Martian Manhunter was a little different, but mm-hmm. he still had the red. Yeah, and and, uh, and the yellow. Flash, of course. Flash, very red, red and yellow. The the uh, DC version of Iron Man. Yep. Uh, well, no, I'd say Batman is conceptually. He's well, just conceptually doesn't have the alcoholism. But, but aesthetically. Oh yeah, yeah, aesthetically, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so. You know, actually talking about that, um, let's delve into, just for a minute, uh, the colors of superheroes. So um, I'm I'm talking about the colors that they wear. Mm -hmm. Uh, So superheroes, the good guys tend to be primary colored. The bad guys tend to be secondary colored. Yes. So the good guys are almost always some combination of red, yellow, and blue. Or, or some combination thereof, two of the three usually. Mm-hmm. Bad guys are almost always some combination of green, purple, and orange. Now, there's reasons for these colors. For instance, if you were wearing lots of red and blue, you have a nobility to you, you have a heroism to you, but there's also sacrifice that you are committing for your, you know, for the okay. greater good. 
If you wear uh, yellow and uh, yellow can stand in for gold, by the way, but if you wear yellow and blue, you still have that sacrifice, and also mm. you're somewhat misunderstood. Okay. Um, perhaps a reluctant hero, or at least mm-hmm. a uh, a hero who has to explain his way out of uh, normal problems. If okay. you wear uh, red and yellow, uh, you tend to be very much the alpha hero mm-hmm. in general. Okay. Um, if you wear um, all three, you are kind of like the 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 super the superhero. Earl. Yeah. Um, if you are a bad guy, you're wearing your your secondary colors. If you have purple, you tend to be the leader of men in some way, mm-hmm. uh, either the mastermind or, or what have you. The purple man, yeah, the most, <laughs> the most obvious, the most grievous example. If, if you're wearing orange, uh, you're insane in some way. Your values are out of step with the the status quo values. Okay. Um, I have a thought on that, but I mm-hmm. want to hear what you say about green. Green is you are. Mentally and morally corrupted in some way, and the green is almost always a sickly green because there are some superheroes who wear green, but it's a richer green, it's a healthier green. Mm-hmm. They're typically tied into some sort of spiritual or natural capabilities, or they're bad guys who turned good guy. So that's that's okay, often what you see. Example of purple. Exactly, being he started as a bad guy. Yeah, and uh, you know his his DC. Uh, equivalent example, equivalent green, green arrow, arrow right looking like robin hood yeah you know so but it's a richer green it's, a, it's yes, yeah it's a, much, it's a forest it's green emerald kind a of green. hunter green if you will yes as if as <laughs> well now so talking about the orange then, yes orange indicating being out of step being crazy insanity being of insanity. some sort yeah what i find interesting that you say is that's if orange is the code for insanity mm-hmm. We see the Ur example of you know a supervillain in secondary colors to me anyway is the Joker mm-hmm. who's in green, purple, and white. Uh-huh. And part of his whole backstory is that he is, pardon my French, batshit crazy. And he's wearing white. And what does Batman wear? Black. Right. Okay. So they're okay. mirrors of each other. Right. They're both chaotic evil. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. We Actually, could, no. We Batman. Batman's lawful evil, but but we yeah. could we could have that discussion in another episode sure. about assigning. But actually, the best example I like to point out there's there's two. There is uh, I was going to say Norman Mailer. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, no. Norman Rockwell. No. Uh, hey, no. There is uh, uh, Norman Osborn. Oh yeah, the Green Goblin. Yeah, Green Goblin. Uh, green and orange. No, that's Hobgoblin. Hobgoblin. That's oh, his. Right. His son's, son's therapist, okay. who went crazy. Okay. Green Goblin is green and purple. You're right. He is a leader of a corporation. Yes. Uh, the other, my other favorite example is, um, and and I've got a whole episode for this, is Magneto. He wears orange with purple piping and a purple cape. He is the leader of mutants, okay. but his idea of I separatism. That, I always saw that color as being more red than orange. Yeah, it's because of the four-color comics. Maybe it says something about but it's, me. No, 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 no. It's four-color comics. That's okay. how it was. But it is orange. It's meant to be okay. orange. And it's because his idea of separatism, and I'm going to get to that in that episode, is out of step with the status quo. Okay. And therefore, he is insane. Okay. It's just a couple yeah. steps away. So okay. you hardly ever see good guys wearing orange. This is true. Sometimes there's a little bit of purple. Yeah. Not much. In the 90s, everybody wore purple. Yeah. Because it was yeah. the 90s. Yeah. Um, and it's usually purple and turquoise or something. Sure. Um, yeah. yeah. But, uh, and, and there are some good guys who wear green, but again, it's a healthier green. Yeah. Um, and if a good guy ever puts on brown, it's because he's trying to retire. 
Okay. Kind of an odd All thing. Right. Um, so, and if a bad guy wears silver, it's the same as a good guy wearing gold. Okay. I'm very wealthy, and yeah. I'm an exemplar of whatever, of whatever I am. Yeah. yeah. So, Doctor Doom. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he wears a green cape, which corrupt, is interesting. Corrupt and incredibly wealthy. Yep. All right. Which is a really interesting thing because if you look at the Fantastic Four now, they were blue, but it's a slightly muted blue. Mm-hmm. So they're heroes, and they're in the public sphere. They don't have a, a public and private persona mm-hmm. distinction. Um, and they, yeah, they're they're... Their costumes don't matter that much. They okay. all match. They don't matter that much. They're kind of bland. They have a team uniform. Right. And uh, this... Livery, yeah. if you will. Yeah. And this presentation of them allows for a grotesque exploration. It's almost a blank canvas for that. So everything they do is hyperbolic. Okay. okay. Uh, the Fantastic Four. Their very first issue, they uh, go into outer space mm-hmm. in 1961. Yeah. Just to let you know, uh, we have barely gotten a guy into orbit by that mm-hmm. point. They well, go into but, outer space. You know, Reed Richards is canonically the smartest guy in the world. Right. So, right. you know, this has long since been established as <laughs> True. a fact. So, so, if anybody can do it, he's the one. He's the dude. But it is hyperbole to yes. the extreme. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, not, yeah not they true. meet and they defeat a god about five years after that Galactus. Galactus. They get to the moon before anyone else does. Yes. And then they fight a Russian who shows up just a few seconds later. Mm-hmm. Because um. it was the Cold War. <laughs> and what else were you going to do? Right. Yeah. They use technology that's literally at the bleeding edge of imagination. Mm-hmm. Uh, which in the 60s is like lots of things stacked onto each other in modules. Oh, Kirby. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he loved he doing that. loved just loved you know, taking shapes and lumping them together. And some of that <laughs> stuff is amazing. And, uh-huh. and to a modern eye after... 40, 50 years since he did that, mm-hmm. some of it you look at and you're like, was he actually smoking something? <clears throat> right. You know. Um, this, is, this is right around the time which, that transistors were a thing, but nobody knew what they were. Yeah. So. And so you'd look at a transistor and you'd be like, well, okay, I can do something with that right. visually. Right. And, you know, you don't need to know what the hell it is to use this, to yeah. use it as an aesthetic. Yeah. And by the way, this is the time where uh, a few years later, Iron Man would literally pull a cord out of his chest plate and plug it into the wall. Yes. Without even a grounding prong. No, yeah, no. So, no, because, you know, yeah. to charge up his yeah. heart. Uh, so my very next note is actually Kirby draws such fantastic technology. So, yes. yeah. Uh, so their very natures are actually cast onto this blue bland canvas and their very natures who they are is a grotesque depiction of life in america in 1961 so in in 1961 john f kennedy is in office yes the cold war is at a fever pitch yes imagination and fear are at a zenith unseen up until that point right superlatives are happening yeah like everything is a superlative oh yeah I, I imagine anybody living through that time period mm-hmm. probably had a similar level of emotional WTF yeah. to the events of the day that we have. Yes. On a daily basis now. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I, I genuinely, because I, I know for a fact, mm-hmm. like it grown up as we did, yeah. you know, late 70s, 80s, into the 90s, 
by that time, the fever pitch of the Cold War had, had died down, and it was it was background noise. Time. It was a low grade just, fever at best. Yeah, yeah. You're running just, around yeah. at a temperature of ninety nine point yeah. five all the time. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. you know, you walk into pneumonia, you can go to work. Whatever, yeah, exactly. You know. And and I mean that certainly warped our worldview in in ways mm-hmm. that sometimes come up to us starkly now in a post Cold <laughs> War world. But you know now. Mm-hmm. Just in the last several years, and I mean this this predates our current president, but sure, you know, really in the last two years, yeah, the the sheer level of this is what that Chinese curse means. Yeah, may you live in interesting times. Yeah, yeah, is, is I mean it's a daily thing. It's, yeah, it's every new headline, and I can yeah. only imagine that with you know Kennedy on one end and Khrushchev. Mm-hmm. On the other, both of whom wanted to not die. By the way, oh yeah, but both like, of, it's both really important were... to note that both of them wanted to bring it down. Oh really? And Ike and Khrushchev way. definitely wanted to bring it down. Oh yeah, no, yeah. Eisenhower. Oh lord, yeah, and no. Kennedy I mean, wanted to bring it down Eisenhower, too. Yeah, when Eisenhower left office, remember, of course, he gave the yeah. speech about you know every every gun that's <clears throat> you know built in the place of a school. Yeah, B fifty two is eight schools operating yeah. fully. It's it's yeah. so many bushels of grain. It's yeah. it's a fully staffed hospital. Yeah, yeah, Republican. Yeah, that's that's what Republicans sounded like. <laughs> I just as as somebody you know. Who who is who is still coming to grips with being a liberal as an adult? That's what Republicans used to sound like. I'd like to go back there, please. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we can move so, on yeah. now. I needed to rant. Sure. So, so uh, I would say though, in 1961, um, they had something we didn't have. They had a very clear existential threat that was the wolf was in the driveway, if not at the door. Sometimes we have wolves on the street. Yeah. But we haven't seen them. We just hear them at night. Like, actually, literally wolves on the street. Well, have also about, true. Have you heard about hybrid wolf dog? Yes. Yeah. Yes. We literally have yeah. wolves. Yeah. But anyway, that's side side issue. Uh, just goes to show how surreal the world actually <laughs> is right now. It really is. Um, but I, I would I would actually go so far as to say that, um, <coughs> and I'm trying to get my dates right, but, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're talking about 60 Two, 62. Oh, I've got. We we have we have a point at which the wolf was not only at the door; the door was cracked open, and everybody was trying to shove him back yes. out of the house. Yes, and I'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because we're talking about Cuban Missile Crisis. Oh yeah, so, I mean, yeah, yeah. Talk about existential threats. Yes. It's we got as close as ever to dying as a species as we've ever gotten, and it, now it's it's. Like then, that was a huge spike. Oh my god! What you're talking about now is like a forty percent of that, but it's constant. Yeah. Like at least they spiked and then went back down to twenty. Yeah, we're we're, we're at forty again. the whole time. Yeah, and and somebody might accidentally sneeze and hit the button, kind of thing. Yeah, or might just like decide or, or to hit the button instead of send on their tweet. Yeah, you know. So, yeah, God knows. So, but in 1961, superlatives are happening. Yes. Roger Maris breaks Babe Ruth's record. While these comic books are on the shelf. Okay. That's a big thing. Yes. Uh, Pat Robertson is televangelizing for the first time while these comics are on the shelf. Oh, wow. People were escaping East Berlin in huge numbers by using sewers and underground tunnels while these comics are on the shelf. The Communist Party of the United States of America was forced by law to register as an agent of the USSR. Which, by the way turns out historically uh-huh. was not the injustice necessarily that we think it was uh-huh but 
well, moving on. A party with a, a an ideology that they claim specifically, mm-hmm. I think it's an injustice to go after them. People who are acting for their own benefit and for the benefit of another government and not saying that they're agents mm-hmm. and then running for office and then being placed into office, I think that's a different thing. Yeah. So, but they were also ordered to give over their roll sheets to the U.S. government. They refused. Okay. They actually had moral compunctions. Oh, wow. While these comics were on the shelf. Okay. Major Robert White set the record for the highest flight with an airplane. All right. At 215,000 feet while these comics are on the shelves. Was that the X one? I think so. Yeah. Uh, NORAD conducted a test which uh, grounded all air travel for over 12 hours. Oh, yeah. Even then... It was unheard of to do that. A B-52 went missing forever during this exercise, by the mm-hmm. way. Like, never found. Yeah. While these comics yeah, are on the we, shelves. We don't know, we don't know what yeah. happened to it. We don't know. It's a yeah. big ocean out there, though. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Khrushchev takes control of the Politburo in the USSR. He gives a six-hour speech. <laughs> I presume in Russian. Um, he promised a 50-megaton nuclear bomb by November and total victory of communism by 1980. Mm-hmm. Not a total victory of Russia, which now we're seeing, um, but <laughs> but of communism. Yeah. yeah. How, how, while these how, comics how were on the shelves. You, yeah. yeah. The USSR test launched a submarine-based nuclear missile while these comics are on the shelves. The U.S. responded a few days later by saying there was no missile gap while these comics are on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Because actually there wasn't. <laughs> right. There never, never actually yeah. was. The U.S. and Soviet tanks are literally pointed at each other in Berlin over a minor traffic dispute with a car. Okay, wait, wait. Yeah. So there's a minor traffic dispute. You bumped into me. You know, you got your your chocolate in my in my peanut butter kind of thing. Um, in East Berlin, uh, like right near the the spot near Checkpoint Charlie. Yeah, and and it it escalated because they were two soldiers. Oh, and no. and then more soldiers and then the tanks came in and they're literally pointing at <laughs> oh each other. Oh my god. Yeah. Over a fender bender. While these comics are on the shelves. I just also want to point out. Yes. While these comics are also on the shelves. Uh-huh. Uh 30 October 1961. Mm-hmm. Um the Soviet RDS-220 hydrogen bomb. Oh, I was getting there, yeah. Yeah, Tsar Bomba. Yeah. Yeah, so so you've you've got the notes there already. Yeah. So yeah. well, I might have I might be mentioning another, but there are really cool experiments being made and failing regarding X-rays and the moon. Okay. While these comics are on the shelf, we're sending X-rays to the moon and trying to figure out stuff, yeah. right? The Saturn 1 rocket booster was successfully te- tested in Cape Canaveral mm-hmm. and got up to 85 miles high mm-hmm. while these comics are on the shelf. We're getting off the planet and yeah. and into space. Blue is turning into black, mm-hmm. you know. The USSR detonated a 58 megaton nuclear bomb as a test. And I think that's the one you're talking about. Yeah. While well, these comics are on the shelf. Largest largest nuclear test in history. Yeah. Uh, they 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 made if I remember the history correctly, they mm-hmm. essentially made a rounding error. Yeah. They had not intended for it to be anywhere near as big as it was. Yeah. Uh, and and it it stunned everybody. Yep. Uh, yeah. So while these comics are on the shelves, a lot there's a theme here. I don't know if you noticed. There's a yeah. lot of science and there's a lot of cold war. Yes. And really there's a lot of firsts or yeah. a lot of breaking barriers, right? Yes. So people's imaginations and fears are just running wild with this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Every day. It's we are running into a similar thing. Like we think we're at rock bottom and we just find out how much more give it has. Uh, <laughs> well, no, we, like, we we realize that the the barrel is a lot deeper. Yes. 
the the muck is the, a, the muck the muck yeah. keeps going. Yeah, the, we thought it was swamp, solid, but the swamp yep. is in fact bottomless. Yeah, we're not so, in a swamp. We're in a sarlacc pit. We're Artex. Yes, and we're shocked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so imagine that, but going upward and and yeah. having these existential threats, though. Um, superheroes classically depicted don't really answer to superlative realities, though, because they're already superlative. Yeah. The Fantastic Four, however, are able to answer to these realities for people because they're living in grotesque times. The times that they're living in are, and I will come back to that, right? Let's see. Comically or repulsively ugly. Distorted. Very ugly or comically distorted figure of what you expect. Bizarre, distorted, unnatural, incongruous with what you know, or fantastic. Too physically unreal to be anywhere near ideal. Okay. That's what we're living in in the 1960s. Um, so now we're going to take a look at the nuclear family because that's that was the thing that was going to save us all is if we like all do the same thing at the same time and live in the same places, no Jews allowed. Um, like, that's going to save Levittown. us. Levittown. Right. Levittown. Uh, Suburbia. Boy, yeah. Leave it to Beaver. Right. By the way. Yeah. Uh, Dirtiest speaking... TV ever. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I want to point out that mm. my father and my uncle, mm-hmm. who are four four years apart in age, okay. uh, my father's 44, my father's 48, mm-hmm. technically my father is not a baby boomer. Mm. Um, but I want to point out mm-hmm. that my dad and my uncle nicknamed one another Wally and, and Beef. Beef. <laughs> my grandmother uh-huh. vacuumed in her pearls. Oh, Lord. Wow. My, my grandmother was the living embodiment of June Cleaver. Nice. I mean... No kidding. That is what my dad grew up in. My parents, my, my mom grew up in a three three child household, two parents. Papa owned a, a, a collision shop for a while. Nana, my grandma, uh, was a uh, stay at home mom. Mm-hmm. Um, they they prescribed amphetamines for her so she could keep up with her chores. Mother's she, little helper. Yes, she didn't she, like my how it God, felt. It's just like the Beatles song. Uh, Stones. You're right. Yep. Yep. You're right. You're Beatles right. didn't sing about no, things of Beatles, substance until no. they found drugs. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so and and yeah, Maharishi. Yeah. Rajeshogi. So so yeah, you've got the nuclear family. You nuclear the, family. Nuclear family. Mom, dad, save us all. Two point five children. Yeah. 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 Dog, cat, white picket yeah. fence. Yeah. White picket neighbors. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so it's the nuclear family of superheroes. Okay. That's what the Fantastic Four is. And yes, double entendre is meant there. Um, They're not a family in the classic sense. So they're already a grotesque reflection of the family. But their relationships end up being like that of what a nuclear family is supposed to be. A grotesque version, if you will. Um, And they are nuclear powered in some way. They're cosmic rays. They're all scienced up. They got their empowers engaging in the space race of the 1960s. Which itself was an outcropping of the nuclear cold war. The reason we're going to go to space is so we can outsmart the Ruskies. So and we can build better incontinent, intercontinental ballistic missiles. <laughs> I like the idea of incontinental ballistic yeah, missiles. Yeah, sorry. Cold brain. <laughs> we're just going to piss all over yeah, them. Yeah, just, just <laughs> let loose. Uh, so yeah, their powers and their grotesque slash normal appearances are also a physical manifestation of the Cold War anxieties. Okay. Um, and the advice that people followed to avoid it. Remember? Yeah. Duck and cover. Right. Do this really mundane, pointless thing that yeah. will normalize the fear that you're feeling 
and you'll be safe yeah, from be existential threats. Yeah. Um, so uh, cover yourself with a blanket. Close your eyes, which is which is what they told people in mm-hmm. the event of a nuclear war. So in the event huge of a fear. Blast. Yeah. Huge fear of all this stuff, but don't worry, your your picnic blanket will save you. <laughs> it's, it, cover your eyes, though. Cover your eyes. Yeah. Which you know what? You know who covers their eyes and pulls a blanket over them when they're scared? Little kids. Exactly. Yes. Well, yeah, yeah. because in the face of that kind of terror, uh-huh. we all go atavistic and yeah. we go back to whatever our most primitive. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Instincts Instinct is, are, yeah. yeah. Well, and then you add to that the fact that horror movies are kind of a big thing. The movie Them. Giant ants. Oh, right. Irradiated ants. Yeah. Scary as hell. Kids had nightmares. And they pulled their head over. Or pulled their head over. Pulled the, the, the blanket, blanket over, over their head. head. Yeah. Um, huge scary problem. Weird, yeah. Weirdly vanilla solution. Yeah. Um, and that's that's kind of the Fantastic Four. They bit. face a lot of weird, scary problems. Face a lot of weird, a very scary vanilla stuff family. In there. Yeah, yes. weirdly vanilla. Weirdly vanilla. Emphasis on the weird. Yeah. Real big emphasis. <laughs> yeah. On the weird. And they're also a nuclear family. Yeah. Reed is dad. Sue is mom. Johnny and Ben are the kids who always bicker, and they need dad to step in and soothe everything out. Sue yells ben to Reed, is, stop is, them. Yeah, Ben is the older, mm-hmm. rebellious, doesn't get along with dad kid. Mm-hmm. Yep, and, and Johnny is the irritating younger brother. And mama's boy. Yep. Reed's in charge, Sue tends to the house, and the kids break shit constantly. <laughs> yeah. But there's a lot more. So uh, this next part I titled, Their Bodies, Their Selves. Oh, nice. <laughs> so each character is grotesque in its own way. Yeah. Um, in a way that pokes hard at American society in the 1960s. Okay? okay, It becomes a mirror meant, I think, I don't think consciously, but I think subconsciously, this is what Lee and Kirby were doing. Okay. They're holding up a mirror to show us where we were going and why it was a problem. Okay, I don't think they meant to. I don't okay. think they're that smart, quite honestly, or that socially conscious of the time that they live yeah. in. They drew things for a living. It would be really hard yeah. for anybody, exactly, to to in the times that you're living to in, be that prescient. Yeah, well, well, yeah. prescient, and and for anybody to notice the water that they are swimming in as fish, right? You know, the being being able to separate yourself from the events that you're living through. Mm-hmm. And more than that, to you know, the zitgeist is a subconscious thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we we don't understand why it is when we're all in the eighties wearing you know big shoulder pads and our jackets. And, right. You know, the mullet becomes a fucking thing. Mm-hmm. Nobody understands why. Yeah. No. That's no one just, like went to a meeting and said, yeah. "Okay, from here right, on." So from here on out. Here till about ninety five. You know, business, business in the front, party in the right. back, and you know your shoulders need to stick out at least three inches. Yeah. You know, outside. Male and way. female. Male and female. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, what, I mean, nowadays we can look back at what was going on in the world and kind of go, well, okay, this is a reaction to this, that, and the other thing. Right. That's the whole point of this fucking podcast is <laughs> all pointy-headed about this stuff. But in the time that it was happening. Impossible being, to say what water is when you're, yeah, when just, you're swimming. When you're fish, yeah. 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 So, um, but it, it did effectively do that, um, on a very subconscious level. Uh, because then comics do shift and do change, and, and maybe they change with the culture. But yeah. I really like that you have mm-hmm. this weirdly vanilla group 
actually showing us what we're going to become. Yeah. The Fantastic Four was far more subversive than anyone would expect four very white, very dull, very conformist superheroes to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am going to start with Susan Storm. Okay. Partly because of my major. Okay. Partly well, because, yeah. yeah. Uh, because I think she's also one of the more obvious ones to point to. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, first off, she is subject to the same problem that most superheroes in Marvel were, that Stan Lee named them. And he named them um, porn names by accident. So, essentially, he went with the alliteration. Yeah. Every time, because it was easier for him to remember. So, Susan yeah. Storm, later Susan Richards... Uh, her power is probably the most obvious metaphor of American grotesque uh, nuclear family. Okay, she's the invisible role of the woman in suburban America. Yeah, and she's called the invisible girl. Mm-hmm. So she's infantilized, she's not allowed. Yeah, and she's just disappeared. Yeah, we don't know how this house runs. No, it just it runs. Just, it just you drop the laundry in the basket and it gets clean. Magically, it's in Magically, your drawer. Magically, it's in your drawer. Now, her first power, her original power was only invisibility. Yes. Later on, she figures out how to create force fields. Yes. Um, to then act as a yonic defending, mm-hmm. shielding, yep. feminine 100%. archetype. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, later on, she figures out the force fields and bolts. Yeah. Um, and she, she actually figures out how to make them offensive weapons as mm-hmm. well. Um, and I'll still get to that, but she had the power to not be seen. That was her power mm. to disappear from view, like most women in history. Yes, she still got things done. She just wasn't recognized for it. Yeah, and she always disappeared in the in the uh, comic books from the legs up, from the bottom up. Which, if you think about that, just that's her sexuality disappearing. Oh wow! In the presence of her husband. Mm-hmm. Who cares more about his work than tending to his own relationship with her? Yes. The first thing sacrificed for the good of the family is her lady bits. Okay. Now, funnily enough, you can't draw an invisible person. No, you can't. Unless you make them visible in some way. So she was visible in to order to be invisible. So her yeah. power didn't exist in a way that we could understand her power it. power was, in fact, invisible. Right. <laughs> True. Yeah. You couldn't see her power, so we had to draw it in to stand in for it. So her invisibility is grotesque. It's bizarre. Well, and I think one of one of the interesting things, Mm -hmm. you know, going back and reading some of the some of the comics from that time period, Mm -hmm. you know, in in which we see Sue interacting with the other characters. Yep. Is there's also an interesting Freudian element Mm -hmm. uh, of the fact that she is remarkably insecure. Yes. Like I mean, insanely so. You look at you look at her character now, Mm -hmm. and you look at any other female superheroine today. Yeah, and then you look at Sue Richards. Yeah, or Sue Storm. Yeah, at the beginning, Uh, and and good on you for growing. You well, yeah, (laughs) one good on you for growing. But you know, the initial reaction is you kind of want to grab her by her by her pearls Mm -hmm. and like, lady, figure it out, right? Um, you know, to to us having grown up in a world where yeah, you know, generational views of gender roles had had started to shift. Sure, you know, it's well, it's and I mean, she even swings far the other way to become malice at one point. Yeah, which is like writers and artists going, look at these, you know, third wave feminists. Ah, yeah. oh you my know? god, yeah. But and then she, you know, yeah. goes off and has repeated affairs with 
Namor. Yeah, well, and and that's the thing. She's like, she doesn't know who she loves more, and yeah. she really does love Reed more, but he never pays attention to her. And then she's got this guy who do- totally pays attention to her. By the way, he's more classically handsome, mm. except for his pointy ass ears and his widow's peak, which is normally a bad guy thing, yeah. and his green shorts, also normally yeah. a bad guy mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he's an antihero. Yeah, get go from much yeah much farther. And so the wings on his ankles. Yeah, well, that's about right. underwater like, <laughs> flying fish. Like okay, yeah. So whatever. In her invisibility, she's grotesque, and she is at once invisible to men's appreciation, and yet still visible to us, the audience, as being unavailable. Whoa. Yeah. Now, her force fields point to, obviously, like you said, a protective role, the Yonic uh, defender, the matron defender. She keeps people safe, as a good mother should. She stays unseen, as a good mother should. She keeps things together, as a good mother should in the 1960s. Funny thing, she's an amazing scientist in her own right, but she cares so much more about fashion and woman-y things, probably because this was men writing a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, but she takes much more of a backseat role anytime her husband is around. Mm-hmm. Uh, she tends to be the peacemaker amongst the other two members of the team. Mm-hmm. She's the mother. Uh, hence your invisible force fields eventually. Yeah. Even her ability to protect you mm-hmm. is unseen. Yeah. Uh, total mom of the 1960s superpower. She's invisible still, but very effective and very protective. Some would say she ends up being the most powerful of the group, but she's also the least expected to use her power. Okay. And she also ends up being damseled so many times. Oh, left, right, center. Yeah. Backward, forward. <laughs> yeah. Boy, howdy. Yeah. Uh, now, she's not particularly gorgeous either. No. She is attractive, mm-hmm. but in a matronly way, a fairly sexless way. Yeah. You certainly, don't... certainly compared to anybody anybody else. Compared to Wonder comics. Woman, for instance. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she's an admiring and doting fiancé. Yes. And wife. Um, well, she's. it's interesting. You talk about them being grotesques. Mm-hmm. Physically, they're grotesques. When we're talking about their roles in this you know, subconscious mm-hmm. allegory... For, for the nuclear family, their mm-hmm. roles are idealized. Yes. She is certainly what the writers and artists of the comic book would consider an ideal yes. fiance yes. in 1961, 1962, etc. Oh, yeah. Uh, when I'm sure a great many of them were, you know, not yet married. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're looking at, you know, young adult men, 20-somethings, you know, writing these characters. And, oh, yeah. You know, wish fulfillment was certainly part of that. Yes. Now, I'm going to show you, and yeah. sorry for all of our listeners, um, I'm going to show you a, a page where they're fighting Dr. Doom. Okay. Uh, and it's Sue and Reed for the most part. Okay. Um, and I will describe what, uh, well, actually, I will have you describe okay. what you're seeing. Feel free to quote what you want. Um, okay. And just, uh, you know, tell us who's talking. All right, so we, we open with mm-hmm. the uh, narration that at that moment all personal problems and conflicts are forgotten as Sue Storm returns to visibility and the man whose heart she possessed possesses rather leaps to gal- leaps into galvanized action to protect her. Uh, we see her with her back turned running away. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reed is trying to block a doorway. He's all twisted up like he does Bendy. Uh, then in the next frame, uh, time itself seems to hang suspended. We have Doom standing there. He's got a ray gun. Doom, then it was you as suspected. Richards, we meet too soon. <laughs> this <laughs> means my plans must change, but the result will be the same. 
Uh, Reed tells Sue to run. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say, you know, come on, help me out here. Because she has Born. a badass power. Yeah. And like Doctor Doom has a gun. Fields. Yeah. Uh, he tells her to run away while I'm going to stand here as the, you know, heroic sacrificing father figure. <clears throat> the Lingham protective version. Mm-hmm. And she then immediately leaps to his defense. Protective, wifely, motherly figure. Uh, puts up the force field. And, and then Reed says, your invisible force shield, of course. Now project it, Sue. Push it back quickly towards Doom. I'm going to come back to that bit of dialogue. Yeah. Well, I'd just like to point out he's mansplaining her own power to her. Well, there's that. <laughs> but, but oh, it's you're doing only, a thing. Let me tell you let how me to tell do you it. tell you how to do it. Yep. Um, then she manages to push Doom out the window. Mm-hmm. Some unseen force pushed me through the window. Merely a temporary setback. And he's God, down wish, the street. I as, wish I had the optimism. <laughs> no kidding. Well, it's it's here's the deal. For him, it's not optimism. For Doom, it uh-huh. is confidence run. Oh yeah, madly amok. That's the reason. I'd like that know, feeling though. Crazy. Like if I get oh. a parking ticket. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. Kidding. A temporary setback. I'm like, oh shit. This means no oh, meat for the my month. God. Yeah. Yeah. So then the two of them staring out the window. <laughs> Sue saying, <laughs> "I don't understand any of this." Uh huh. Him in tones of somewhat exasperated it seems mm-hmm. like telling her i tried to explain we were drugged uh made us imagine the worst about each other uh the two of them in a in a pose where she is consoling him mm-hmm. telling reed dearest i've been such a fool huh. never mind they were both drugged presumably both acting like assholes yeah then oh my god here it is not a fool sue merely a female you couldn't have reacted differently <laughs> But we haven't time. We haven't time to talk. Not with Doctor Doom on the loose. Okay. So what I want to point out about that about I'm, there's so I'm much. Sorry. Wait, holy shit. Not merely a female. Merely a female. A female, not a woman. Not a woman. A, a female. female. Yeah. So point out yeah. what you're yeah, gonna point her, out. Take her. Take her womanhood away from her. <laughs> on top of everything else. Um. So so your invisible force shield, of course. Like right. I had completely forgotten you had that power. I, I forgot okay. the thing that makes I'm you special. The smartest, I'm the yep. smartest sumbitch in the, like, literally, yes. Yes. there is a certificate hanging on the wall of my office. Hank Pym said you got this. Hank Pym, <laughs> Tony Stark ain't got nothing on none of those people. <laughs> they come to me. They come to me. Yeah. Cut Reed Richards a check. Mm-hmm. is a trope for a reason. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I'm the smartest dude on earth. Mm-hmm. I'm married to, or engaged, I don't mm-hmm. know where they oh, are. Oh, they're, they're not married yet. Okay, yeah. I'm engaged to a telekinetic. <laughs> yeah. And I forget that. <laughs> yeah. I'm the leader of the Fantastic I'm the Four. I'm the leader of, of the this team. team. I know what each person can do, because they basically only have one power each. And I totally forgot your power. I, well, no, Whoopsie I forgot doodle. your second power because yeah. the one I always remember is the fact that you can become invisible right. because I'm a 1960s male and right. that's ideally what all women would do. Right. Because, oh my God, merely a female. What the fuck? <laughs> you couldn't have reacted differently, you emotional slut. <laughs> so there's more. Oh my God. Here's one I'm... from a different one. Oh. And it's just a single Reed panel. Richards, Reed Richards is such a dick. Mm-hmm. So he's lying on the ground. Looks like he's been injured. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben is on the right-hand side of the frame. <laughs> Sue is bending down over him in a in another comforting, semi-protective yes. kind of pose. 
And Reed's remark is, if I'm the leader of this group, you've got to trust me, obey me implicitly, and... Her response. Sue, Sue, <laughs> baby, you can do so much better. And she's not even saying it out loud. She's not even saying it out loud. It's no. a thought bubble. She says, I've never seen him so upset, so annoyed with me. Mm-hmm. Not, oh my God, yep. what a pompous ass he's being. Yes. No, no. Oh my God, he's so upset with me. What have I done? Uh-huh. You know. <laughs> yep. I don't know if that was Kirby writing that, if that was Lee writing that. I don't know who that was, but I kind of want to go back. Uh huh. I want to find a Wayback Machine just to go back and Gib slap him because <laughs> holy crap! Yeah. Nowadays we call that an abusive relationship. Yes. Oh, and there's others, uh, and I haven't. Oh. These oh. are from the ones that I've read because I'm yeah. starting from oh, yeah. the beginning from and beginning working, my working, forward. working my forward. There's yeah. other ones that I have pulled from the internet. Are things like stop. Uh, being such a female and get over and help me and stuff like this I mean it's just insane or stop thinking like a scientist and start thinking like my wife by that point they're married yeah so never never mind the fact that you can't think like her husband to save your goddamn life Mr. Smartest guy in the world or hers yeah and she is damseled all the time. Oh, constantly. She's always captured. Yeah. Um, and she's the love interest of a disinterested man. Yeah. A man consumed by his work. Yeah. I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. She is the also the love interest of Namor, a man whose own morality is questionable, hence mm. the green. Um, and she's torn between the two of them. He, being Namor, represents your foreign Lothario type because he is old. Yeah, and he's a foreigner. He's yeah, Valentino. Yeah, okay. yeah. And, I was gonna say Italian yeah. because dark hair, widow's peak, widow's peak. Yeah, yeah Valentino. The the the, yeah, the yeah. ears, the weird ears. Yeah, the weird. All Italians have those weird ears. Yeah. Okay. So. No. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Time out. I don't, what? I don't see. Right. Sorry. What? Yeah. Okay. No. The French have tails. Okay. I don't see what the. Yeah. No. <laughs> Uh, the Germans just have a compulsion to march. Yeah, it's so, exactly right. Well, they have goose legs. Did, oh, so, that's what yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay, there's so that's that. why they wear no, boots all the time. Honest to God, they actually got that from the Brits. But yeah, moving on. <laughs> um, so uh, Reed, though, represents the American man. Yeah. Her dilemma isn't really a dilemma. We all know she's going to end up doing the right thing and marrying the man who put her life in danger for his own ambitions and has treated her poorly ever since. Because he did. He totally did. He's oh like, we have God. to beat the Russians. We yeah. should all go up yeah. without spacesuits, really, yeah. into my to, rocket yeah, that I built privately somehow. Yeah. And we need to break in, go fly it, and go. Honey, come with me. Well, can my brother come along? Yeah, sure. It's fine. Who cares about weight allowance? Let's go. Yeah. Never mind, um, never mind the physics involved in any so, of this. Because, well, you know, comic books. But, but so, of course, she's going to end up with him. Yeah. Um, but it is the 1960s. So she does. And Namor does show another pers- possibility. Sexual attraction. He is lusting after Sue. Oh. That's oh. why it ain't going to work. Oh. Susan doesn't have the amb- any ambition of her own either. No. It, it, so it would appear as she disappears. Um, yeah. She reacts to what's going on. Her power itself is a reactive power. Yes. When she gets stressed, she goes disappearing. Yeah. When, uh, some, when an attack is happening is when she brings up the, the force shield. That's how these things work. Yeah. Uh, she wants the safety and security that her fiancé and later husband promises, but she never does anything more than wanting it. She never never does much besides fretting about it or like mm-hmm. cleaning up a vase that Ben and, and Johnny break. Yeah. She rarely affects her own escapes. No. Um, or the rescues of other people. 
and later on she will. But I'm talking the 1960s when they first come. Yeah, out. The, the early the early formative period. She's when when she mm-hmm. and Reed have kids. Right. She is a a trope. Uh, yes. Codifier, or maybe not codifier, but she's she's a strong example of uh-huh. mom bear. Yeah. Uh, when you know their mm-hmm. children get kidnapped over and over and over and over and over yeah. and over again. Oh, oh later yeah. Later on in yeah. the eighties, nineties, she is the part of our country whom science was trying to and supposed to protect from foreign threats in the nineteen sixties. Okay. All right. Now let's talk Reed Richards. Let's. Reed Richards. Uh, his powers are indicative of the America's stretching and contorting morality. Okay. He's stretchy. He's bendy. Okay. Science keeps finding new ways around and through problems in the 1960s. Yes. Reed Richards bodily does that. Okay. Scientists continue to bend and twist themselves to avoid the ethics of what they did. Okay. Who cares if they come down? <laughs> Operation Paperclip. Right. Yeah. Ron Brown. Yeah. Uh, he is apolitical. You know, mm. um, in order to push the frontiers of what they could do, uh, hey, let's find out what syphilis does. How are we going to do that? Let's just inject a whole bunch of black guys with it. Cool. Hey, let's find out if we can turn LSD into a truth serum. How? We're going to dose people's drinks and then take them and kidnap them for a little bit. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. Like, no ethics. Yeah, no, none. But got to find out. Got to yeah, know. Got to figure it out. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. So that we can beat the Russians. Yeah. That's all that Reed's about. Yeah. That's how he gets them their beating fantastic Doom. powers. Right. Well, beating the Russians first, then Doom, right. and then the Skrulls. Right. Or was the Skrulls first? Skrulls first. Okay. Yeah. Also, I want to point out Skrulls, mm-hmm. um, Cold War Menace, Shapeshifters. Could oh, be absolutely. Anybody. Don't yeah. know who's an alien. Oh, yeah. See something, That's say something. Obvious, yeah. Yeah. So. And at the same time, Captain America, or not Captain America, uh, Superman is saying, hey, that's it's not American to turn your friends in, by the yeah. way. Like, there was a weird yeah, subversion there. Yeah. So his ambition knows no limits. Mm-hmm. He endangers his, his best friend from college, his girlfriend, and her brother. It, yeah. He hasn't even asked her to marry him yet. No. Uh, in order to realize his dream of superiority in space and science. Yeah. Well, and to prove his... Mm-hmm. his prove himself right. His intellect, yeah. No price too high to pay for his ambition. He's mm-hmm. also a father figure. So here's your nuclear family again. She's the mother, he's the father. He continues to find ways to maintain his role as father with increasing flexibility and stretching. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't go and get drunk. He physically can move stuff around and make it happen. Mm-hmm. The, the the dad of the 60s was going and getting drunk and, and escaping the family because the pressure was too great. Okay. I'm painting with a broad brush because it saves but, time. Yeah. Uh, some would say that he stretches himself too thin. But, um, but regardless, he maintains his own sense of ex- exceptionalism mm-hmm. and composure. He names himself Mr. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the group takes on uh, his cognomen. Yeah, yeah, Fantastic Four. Which <laughs> I gotta tell you, um, my my spell checker turned it to abdomen. Which I was like, it's <laughs> like no, it doesn't take on his abdomen. Nice. <laughs> In addition to his own powers, uh, he's a brilliant scientist who never has time for his relationship with his fiance and wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, he rarely is involved with his family dynamic at all, except to come in and be an authority figure. Yeah. And tell everybody else what to do. Right. You Other have than that, to obey me without question. <laughs> he 
He's, you have orders, <laughs> orders which must be obeyed. Sorry. That's okay. I, I went John Cleese there. Anyway. <laughs> He's utterly consumed by his work, and in the 1960s, America was consumed with the Cold War and the space race, especially its father figures, the government. Okay. I would also argue that mm-hmm. the model for the nuclear family in the 1960s, the mm-hmm. role of the father, and, and this is mirrored mm-hmm. even in the generation, even in our generation. Yes. The parents of our generation, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my my father-in-law mm-hmm. uh, held that same kind of outlook on his job. His job was to go out and make the money mm-hmm. to support the family. And the, you know, idea of being home to be nurturing, supportive, yep. being around... You know, well, you know, I've got to go out and do this thing with the guys from the office because I've got to build those relationships because that's work and that's right. important and that's this, you know, and so that's that didn't that didn't go away right with just that generation and it wasn't just the scientists and the engineers it was mm-hmm. any father figure yes during that time period oh yeah and it's still like I have a friend who is a stay at home parent mm-hmm. and um, he still gets looked at a little sideways. From people who are otherwise very, very accepting of, of all things. They're like, yeah. kind of looking at him like he's not doing his job. It's like, no, she makes more money. I'm going to stay home. Yeah. Our kid is always taken care of. I'm like, wow, that must be nice. Yeah. Uh, well, and, you, know, you, you, yeah. And I, you and I as teachers, in yep. the summertime, we're full-time dads. Yes. You know. Which is amazing and fun. Yeah, which is great. But, you know, we're, we, we have to deal with the same thing. Yes, you know, we do. I mean, it's only for you know two and a half months out of the year, right? And but, we can just say, know, "Oh, I'm a teacher," and people are like, and, "Okay, oh, there's okay, a reason." All right, okay, all right, there's a good. reason. It's okay. You get yeah. you know you get a free pass. And right. It's like, you know what? If I wasn't a teacher, <laughs> it would still be okay. My, if my wife wasn't an attorney, mm-hmm. like a judge, whatever, and making enough money that she could be the one, so we could be a single income household, we'd do it. We, yeah, yeah, you know. Oh, absolutely, dude. So, Reed Richards, yeah. If you look at him, he he's not actually classically exceptional in any way. No, he's really not. He's he's, he's not got ugly. Really got a really square head. Yep, but he's not stacked either. He's skinny. No. He's bland. No. He's playing yeah. at the temples. Yeah, not what heroes look like. No, uh, but he is what fathers looked like. He is, is what true. the father of our nation at that time looked like. This is true. Only, hey, Jack Kennedy was a good-looking dude. He was. Reed Richards wasn't terrible-looking. No, he was but a he two-dimensional wasn't. version of Jack Kennedy. All right, visually, I'm, I'm, yeah, okay. It's a stretch. I, I, see, I see what you're saying. The, the parallel is definitely there. Yeah, but yeah, it's he, a stretch. He'd have, he'd have had movie star good looks if he was really yeah. Kennedy. But anyway, it's a stretch. Uh, oh, thank oh, you. God. <laughs> God damn. Good day, sir. <laughs> so, God, he's trying it. to <laughs> son of. <laughs> All right. So he's trying to provide a middle class lifestyle to their families, right? To his family. Yeah. And fathers were trying to do the same thing. Yeah. And they too were always at work, like you yeah. were saying. Their work pulled them away from the family, like you said. And Reed's science experiments did the same thing for him. Yeah. Um, the difference was that no matter how far you pulled him, he mm-hmm. was stretchy. Yeah. And the way he fights, incidentally, is also very 1960s America. Think about it. He wraps himself around the evil with his arms until they're totally restrained. What policy does that sound like? Oh, well, containment. Yeah. Yeah. Domino, domino, fighting against domino theory. Containment Metaphorically, 
science and reason are going to restrain our baser emotions and keep us all safe. Mm. He's always got advanced warning. Mm-hmm. Radar, sonar, mm-hmm. hopes of American satellite usage. Mm-hmm. He's got these warnings on any new threats due to his technological exceptionalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet the house that he built, the headquarters that he built, mm-hmm. is under constant threat of intrusion. Mm-hmm. So despite... Oh, yeah, all well, of this is a constant menace, and and he they become a target for it. Yeah, you know, a, a, yeah. a self fulfilling prophecy. Despite yeah. all of his efforts at maintaining order and security, this techno empire Reed Richards, uh, the the techno empire that he built, is too porous. Mm-hmm. He needs a wall, no. <laughs> <laughs> but he uh, fails. He fails no yeah. matter how far he stretches. It's yeah. almost as though his very policy of containment is at odds with reality. Mm-hmm. And so no matter how much he stretches, he can't get around the chaos that is inherent in the world. It's mm-hmm. almost like he is a physical embodiment of NSC 68 and NSC 10, yeah. where it says chaos and disorder in the world are a threat to American security. Mm-hmm. And therefore, we have the means and the tools and the capabilities and the duty uh, to contain chaos. Yeah. You can't contain chaos. There have been myths written about this. Yeah. <laughs> like, Since the dawn of time. So yeah. his power is obviously grotesque, but his ambition is grotesque. Okay. Yeah. Overblown. Yeah. Massive. Caricature-like. Now, here's the thing. He and his wife, later wife, his fiance, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're both able to pass for normal people. Yes. Similar to most father figures in the 60s. Similar to most mother figures in the 60s. You didn't know that still waters ran so deep. No. It just went without saying. And, and, you know, nobody talked about how how much dad drank. Right. Nobody talked about the pills mom took. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nobody talked about the mistress that dad had. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nobody talked about the two-week vacation that mom took. Mm Mm-hmm. Because they couldn't afford another child. Mm-hmm. Nobody talked about those things. No. And everybody had that. So under the surface, there's all kinds of dysfunction. Oh, yeah. Reed Richards embodies that dichotomy in a way that enables the comic books to offer a light critique of society at the time. And they're not even doing it on purpose. No. So which sibling do you want to hear about next? I want to hear about Ben Grimm. All right. Ben Grimm. Now, I'm going to probably refer back to Johnny a little bit, because okay. I, I, I don't think you can separate one from the he other. Really, it's tough. I so, can see how it would be difficult. Benjamin J. Grimm. Yes. Later retconned to be of Jewish extraction, by the way. Yes. Um, but it was a non-issue, which mm-hmm. I was talking to a friend of mine recently, and she said that that was actually a very common thing. Uh, yeah, we're Jewish, but we're not Jewish. Mm. It's that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so it kind of fits in with that. Uh, old, lovable blue eyes. Mm-hmm. One of the eleven blue-eyed. <laughs> yep, uh, Aunt Petunia's little darling. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the few characters to be a secondary color. Yes, uh, and the one and only member of the Fantastic Four who's not related to the others in some way. Yes, he is a man apart. He was Reed Richards's incredibly unlikely roommate. <laughs> yeah, and they become friends despite having nothing at all in common. <laughs> He's the only one with actual military training. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the only one actually trained to fly things. Yes. Uh, okay, so Reed Richards represents the modern professional man. Yeah. Right? Susan Storm represents the uh, the modern uh, stay-at-home mom. Yeah. 
Uh, Red Rim is the working man. Exactly. Blue collar. Crusty. Blue eyes, blue collar. Stuck in his ways. Short-tempered. Cranky. Constantly antagonized by kids. Johnny. Okay. The Yancey Street Gang. Yeah. Feels marginalized despite drawing all the focus to himself. That's where I get a little uncomfortable because I used to like the thing a lot. And now I'm like, oh, oh, oh. I know which way he might have oh, voted. Yeah. Well, he wouldn't have. He wouldn't he have. Would, but, but you, but, yeah. But, but the way you're describing mm-hmm. that, yeah, that definitely. Yeah. He, he's the vet who came home from World War II and feels like the world passed him by 15 years later. Yeah. Uh, his training in the military doesn't really apply to his current life. No. Uh, but it did get him to where he is. Yeah. Uh, he's somewhat isolated. Reed is brilliant scientist. Susan is some sort of model half the time, uh, and a scientist the other half. Mm. Johnny is a teen heartthrob and a, yeah. a race car guy. Ben is just the everyman. Yeah, uh, he's our Winston Zedmore. Uh, if there's a steady paycheck in it, uh, I'll believe I'll whatever do, you tell I'll me. Whatever you tell me. Yeah. You know, I have seen shit that will turn, turn you white. white. You know yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like he is just. Well, and those are and those are, and you can hear those lines modified into his particular uh-huh. style uh-huh. being things he would say. So yeah, despite oh the my fact God, that he's that's an amazing analogy. <laughs> despite the fact that he looks nothing like us, he is the one who is most like us. He is the normal guy. Whose reactions we can relate to the most. He's the straight man. Yes. He's at once the most and least super of them all. He's okay. also prone to depression. Yes. His powers? He's a giant and made of rocks. He's strong and durable. That's really about it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, when the Fantastic Four come onto the scene, his strength is totally unparalleled except for the Hulk. Um, but even the thing that he's best at is actually being bested by a product of modern science. Mm. Anything you can do, science can, can figure out can a way to do better. Can figure out how to do better, yeah. He's invulnerable, but also, because of his appearance, he's repulsive mm-hmm. and untouchable. Mm-hmm. He's the only member of the team who can't control when he's seen as grotesque or not. Everyone else can pass. He, yeah, he can't. he can't. So he can't pass for white. Yeah, I was going to say. Orange is, is the there, new black. Is there nice? <laughs> I was going to say, is yeah. there is there an analogy there? A bit, which okay. is interesting because again we go back to the fact that it turns out he had uh, he is from Jewish ancestry too. Yeah, and go back to Levittown. Yeah, stuff like that. It's really interesting. So he's uh, he's a lot like the working man in the 1960s. He can't get out of his job. He can't retrain and retool in the 1960s he can't control how others see him he doesn't have the ability to understand how to do it he does his job and because he does his job he feels marginalized as a result now previously i spoke of his orangeness like i said orange just like now uh was often used to highlight mental or emotional instability or at least being mentally or emotionally handicapped okay um in some significant way his worldview is he's a man out of time. And not in the same way that Captain America is, because Captain America actually adapted. Yeah. Ben is always a crank. He's yeah. out of step forever, with reality. Forever yeah. is yeah. When in during Civil War, mm-hmm. he he fled to France. Canada. Well, there there was there was a punchline. Oh, was there? In, in one issue <clears throat> where he translated <coughs> it's clobbering time into oh, French. Wow. Oh, cool. Uh, the Le Bon Temps Roulet okay. got changed to make it its clobbering time. Oh, in neat. 
And yeah, he, he just said, you know what? Like, I just thought I, he went I to Quebec. I don't, I don't, I, you know, it might, I don't know. Yeah. I might be misremembering. Yeah. It might have been Quebec, but he, he, he was just, you know He's, what? Uh, yeah. There's no way, there's no, I mean, you want me to register? Look at me. Right. Why the hell do I have to, I'm right. going to do that. That's, you know, and he had an almost cap-like speech about how that was bullshit. Yep. And un-American and not the world he wanted to live in. Right. And so. So I'm, I'm out. out of here. Yeah. And Yeah. So, yes, he's still a crank. He mm-hmm. remains. He forever will be. Now, I'm going to point out something that's uh, currently uh, problematic for us. Um, he is a strange-handed, squat, really orange. wide orange man who is cranky all the time, yells a lot, from New York, who is completely out of step with the reality he's in. I have no idea what you're alluding to. Not a damn thing. Like at all. So here's my favorite thing about I'm the gonna thing. I'm going to just slide right over that. We're going to keep going. <laughs> yep. Because you know what? Ben Grimm is okay, people. Yes, he is. So. He is. Um, so here's the thing about the thing. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, uh, despite yes. his constant self-pity, because it's there. Oh, yeah. Oh, all the time. God, yeah. on paper, he really does. Yeah. He, yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, keep talking. Yeah, he's keep ta- he's walking, actually walking. he's actually the only member of the Fantastic Four to reach out to normal human beings for some sense of connection to the rest of the world. Yes, everyone else is insular. Yeah, um, despite being trapped in his grotesqueness. Yeah, because he's trapped in it. He is the only one to reach beyond it to maintain his humanity on some normal level. Okay. Now the woman he dates at first is blind, so you can get around that and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, but he. He finds one, and the thing is, she's blind, so she can't see him. So she feels every bump and crack in his body mm-hmm. to get a sense of who he is, and she gets to know the real him through that mm-hmm. and accepts him for who he is. He's the only one who's acceptable, truly acceptable, to an outside person. Mm-hmm. The only one in the relationship who cares how he's seen is him. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah, I, I think I think it's interesting because you know Reed mm-hmm. is smartest guy in the world and unfortunately knows it. Mm-hmm. So he's completely tied up in that aspect of, of his ego. Yes, and he's so completely tied up in airy fairy win him, mm-hmm. you know, super science. Oh yeah, that, that he he doesn't care about mm-hmm. human connection. Sue has locked on to Reed. Yep. As the source of her identity, mm-hmm. and so anything else outside of that, she's got blinders on because of that. Oh yeah, and Johnny is Apollo. Yes, the Greek god. Yes, and everything is look how I shine. Reflect, reflected in his glory. Look how I shine. Yep. Look at look at how I bring light to everything. Look yep. at me. Look at me. Look at me. He is an egotist at least, a narcissist at worst, mm-hmm. and so in that way, he's. The, the part of the analogy to that individual we're not going to mention right now yeah. that, that is missing from Ben. Yes. And because of that, because of his insecurity. It's when Kirk got of, split. Yeah, but yes. Yeah. yeah. Good. I like it. Because of that insecurity, mm-hmm. that is the reason that Ben has to be the one. Yes. Based on the archetype, he has to be the one to reach out oh, yeah. to ordinary people. Oh, yeah. Um, and when you have the one who looks like a monster reaching out to ordinary people, it's kind of like when you grow up, and, and I know you and I grew up very differently, partly just because of our height. Yeah. I grew up, I was always one of the tallest, right? And I'm yeah. not particularly tall. I'm only six feet tall. Yeah. But I've been six feet tall since I was 13. 
I learned to be a gentle giant pretty yeah. early on, yeah. you know. And you know, I'm, I'm Bishop would be able to share. Yeah, and I'm 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 shocked at at yeah. how much bigger I am than people. Like I'll see a picture, I'm like, oh my god, I dwarf you. you yeah, know, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. But you learn to be a gentle giant when you are mm-hmm. so much larger, and he he has to do that. Yeah. Um, he found a partner who valued him for the sweet and tender self that he keeps painfully locked away. Mm-hmm. Um, Under the crusty, invulnerable mm-hmm. exterior. He's a very vulnerable, loving person. Yeah. Uh, interesting thing about the thing okay. is that Reed Richards badgers him into using his training to fly them all into space. Yes. When he does this, Ben Grimm ends up disfigured and freakish, way mm-hmm. beyond anyone else. As a result of this, he is disabled from being able to do the things that he was once very skilled at. Yeah, because his big rocky his fingers. giant uh, Mickey Mouse fingers, Mickey by Mouse the way. Hands, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. He is cartoonish. Ooh. He is grotesque. Yes. He's the, the most obviously yeah. grotesque of the Right. Show. And yet, personality-wise, he's the least. He's, yeah. Um... He nurses a grudge against Reed for that, by the way. Rightly so, quite Forever. honestly. Uh, Forever. But their relationship is now trauma-bonded in guilt. Yeah. Antagonism. Yeah. Patronism and a lack of acceptance. Reed never stops trying to find a way to reverse what has happened to his friend. And Ben never really accepts what's happened to him. Now, I'm just going to point that out into the larger milieu of that. And it's the, the professional man... Feels a noblesse oblige responsibility to the working man that he stepped on to get to where he is. Or that he uh, manipulated mm-hmm. or, or yeah. exploited. Yeah. What I'm looking for is exploited. And the working man forever rep- or resents the egghead. Yeah. Oh, and Jesus. they are locked yeah. in a in a struggle that is is the foundation of their relationship. Yeah. Um, it's also not too different from Frankenstein's monster. No. In the book. In the book. In the book. Uh, who dresses the doctor down for creating him. Yeah. Flat out goes after him and tells the yeah. doctor, build me a woman. Yeah. Things grotesque, grotesqueness is comical. Like I said, he has Mickey Mouse hands. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, overly sized feet. Mm-hmm. Giant brow. He's overly wide. He's squat. He dresses in a blue diaper. Mm-hmm. Uh He's infantilized in all sorts of ways. Mm-hmm. Johnny antagonizes him in the ways that a sibling would. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the same age as Richards, but he's treated as a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and Johnny absolutely represent opposing forces, and I'll get to Johnny's second, squabbling siblings, obviously, and the two parts of white America who are the least important politically in the 1960s, okay. the common working man and the teenager. And youth. Yes. The youths. The youths. Now. Yeah. Johnny. Johnny Storm. Kid brother of Susan Storm. Mm-hmm. Later Susan Storm Richards. The antagonist of Ben Grimm. The only minor to be shot into space to beat commies who wasn't a chimpanzee. <laughs> or a dog. Yeah, true. Well, no, the Soviets were the ones yeah. that shot the dog. So dog the, and Strelka. Yeah. The dog was shot to yeah. defeat the capitalists. But yeah. anyway. He is a hot-headed teenager. Literally. Yes. Yeah. He's the human torch. Yes. Now, he is not original. Because nope. what teenager is? He's borrowing from the 1940s Android character. Mm-hmm. Marvel redid it with the teenage hot rodder at the helm instead. He is grotesque in the extreme. When he activates his power, he is on fire. He's either a cute ladies' man who represents the ideal 1960s teenager, 
Okay, really okay. into cars. Could have easily been a background character in American Graffiti. Yeah. Um, or he's engulfed in flames. Yeah. <laughs> so you think there's an aspect of adult terror of teenagers involved there? Yeah, well, also the power of lust, which I don't uh, think separates from that adult terror, yeah, by the way. Not at all. And the thing is, Johnny, <clears throat> uh, in early, early uh, issues, uh, he has premature ejaculation issues with his fire. Yes. Straight up does. He yes, gets too excited. Gets, he gets too worked up. Too and hot. catches fire. Yep. Yeah. And then it burns out quickly and he's exhausted afterwards. Mm. And there's always like steam coming off of him. Yeah. So. Wow. I mean, I don't know how you do wow, it, but you're doing it wrong if there's not if, steam if there's coming not, off you. Well, you know. <laughs> so, uh, eventually he controls it more finely. Mm. He figures out how Works to edge. To make it last longer. <laughs> Uh, but in the beginning, it's an on and off switch. Yeah. So, he gets the coolest, most powerful seeming power for kids, though. Like, yeah. how cool? He's the only one that flies yes. on his own power. On his own, yeah. Um, classic superhero trope, right? He's the fastest. He's obviously the most offense oriented, yeah. right? He can light shit on fire. And he's the light of the future. Oh. Talk about your Symbolism, Apollo. Symbolism, right. right? Yeah, Apollo. Definitely. He's also got the greatest potential for spreading disaster with his power wherever he goes. Hence your... Yeah. Like you were saying. So, uh, oh, damn it. Which which is the myth of Apollo's son? I don't remember his name. I don't either. But Apollo gave him the reins to the chariot and he... Oh, and he and fucked he it up hard. Screwed it up hard. Yes. Ate shit. Yeah. Set the world on fire yeah 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 i remember that that's, now. that's the archetype yeah yeah um also potentially icarus yeah no icarus only got himself killed but yeah still. well and and icarus wasn't just a tale of don't dream it was stay in the middle ground son stay in the, yeah. yeah and he didn't he is the embodiment of teenage sexuality like i said yeah whereas his sister is adult female sexuality so the storms right. are sexual okay they are sexual archetypes and Reed and Ben are our working archetypes. Okay. So you have the Apollonian and Dionysian. Dionysian, yeah, okay. All right. Which you're a huge fan of, and I want to oh, throw that in there yeah, for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, as he gets older, and presumably wiser, but not really, not a um, it's a fairly incremental growth. He learns to control his flame. He sustains his flame. He tames his flame. Uh, Having fun with that. Yeah, I am, actually. <laughs> He's unbridled passion and then the wisdom that comes with age. But okay. he... How to put this? He doesn't grow much beyond that. He is the character in D&D that only cares about his combat abilities and never develops anything. Never He's develops a barbarian. Any other skills. Yeah. yeah. Um, he literally figures out how to avoid burning out as he steps out of his puerile life. Yeah. And into a life of heroics. So Johnny exhibits very little initiative on his own, by the way, unless it's yeah. toward thrill-seeking. Even then, it's short-lived. Yeah. Uh, or if it's antagonizing Ben. He, he yeah, goes apeshit for that. Forever, yeah. yeah. Anytime Reed needs something, Johnny is Johnny on the spot. Mm-hmm. He's there to do whatever is asked of him. Uh, even like though, a, like a good obedience, son, exactly, as opposed to the archetype of Ben, who right. is the rebellious older son, uh-huh. first son, who's trying to find an identity of his own, the prodigal, the prodigal, mm-hmm. the second son, who is sticking you know, around, whatever daddy says, right? You know. Okay, I'll do what he says. Yeah. I'm gonna go off and I'm do hot headed stuff, but I got but, you, dad. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, Henry the Fifth, by the way. Yeah. Oh yeah. Very much Henry the Fifth. At least as depicted by Shakespeare. Or Hotspur. Prince Hat. Well, uh, yeah, it could be Hotspur. Yeah. 
But I'm I'm specifically I think thinking right, Prince though. Prince Hal into Henry V. Yes. You know, at, yes. at the at the end of um, Henry the Fourth Part Two, mm-hmm. uh, the death of Falstaff, right, and and his whole you know, no, you understand, my father is the king now, right. I can't be hanging out with you people anymore, right. You know, yeah. Um, I have same, to go turn into I have Kenneth Branagh. I have to. I have to go be the dutiful yeah. son. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very much that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. So there you go. Okay, it's yeah. it's uh, growing from teenagehood to draft age. Yeah. Oh Jesus. Johnny uh, blazes with frenetic energy, and and he is the personification of a dutiful son, like yeah. you said. Uh, and he knows that Daddy knows best. Yes. And that's how we get to him being an idealized teenager, right? Because at the end of the day, whatever trouble he winds up getting into, he will toe the line. He will toe the line when yes. told to by Papa. Whereas Ben is likely to throw the finger, since you know he He's only, only has got the, the three, line yeah, <laughs> and walk away. Uh, yeah, uh, he also recognizes that Reed is the force of order, and mm-hmm. he will help him corral the chaos. And ultimately, he's Apollonian yeah. in nature. Who Reed? Well, his character, yeah, his his drives, uh, Johnny. Oh. Ultimately, his his drives are yes. ultimately Apollonian. Yes, he strives to be Apollonian. Yes, despite leaning in the direction mm-hmm. of chaos, Dionysus. He passion. is. When I was a child, I had childish things. Yes, he is that. Oh, perfect. He just does it all in one issue. Every every issue. every issue or every so, other issue. Sometimes they don't focus on him enough. But yeah, to, for him to do that. That's true. And that's the thing is he can step <laughs> off, but then like when he shows up, you're like, oh yeah, guy's on fire. Cool. All yeah, right, bitch. And the like the other three of the four, he can be normal, or he can use his power. Yeah. That's the thing in using their powers. Mm-hmm. They are grotesque. Like his sister, he uses his power. His self disappears into the grotesque form. His face is no longer distinguishable. Exactly. His, his, I mean, we can kind of sometimes you can see his fingers. Yeah, but, but he's most substanceless. Of the time, he's he's a element, uh, an artist's mannequin covered in flames. Yeah, and I'm going to get into the elements too. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, he um, like his sister and his eventual brother-in-law, he passes for normal, like I said, yeah. um, when he doesn't. Uh, like the two of them, he can hide with the rest of society um, if he exercises restraint against that which makes him different. Oh, oh man. Getting the hit in on 60s conformity. He is the one that the country would send off to fight in Vietnam shortly enough. Yeah. He is the brightest, the most hopeful... The youngest and the most dutiful. Wow. They do it to save Cold War anxious America from its own anxieties. Wow. There's your Johnny Storm. And there's not much on him because there's not much to him. Yeah. Now let's talk about the number four. They are the Fantastic Four. This was not an accident. So many things revolve around the number four in our culture. Here's just a few. The four elements. Yeah. Obviously the most easy to explain, right? Look at your team exhibiting their powers. The thing is... All right, okay. Yep. Earth yep. for the thing. Yep. Fire, obviously, Johnny Storm. Yep. Uh, water, Reed Richards. Yep. Be water, my friends. Yep. And uh, air, uh, Sue Richards, invisible. There you go. Okay. As such, they take on those qualities and their personalities pretty quickly, too. Mr. Fantastic's ability to flow around a problem. Yes. Uh, invisible woman's ability to be ever present but never seen. Yes. Human Torch is literally fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and his and his uh, uh, 
But he also flares up with a yeah. temper. Yeah, his choleric, yeah, choleric character, choleric temper, and Ben Grimm's, you know, stolid, crankish. He's the this is he's the I conscience am. too. Yeah. Yes. He is grounding oh, them. Yes, he. The number of times Ben Grimm has looked at Reed Richards and gone, "No, that's that's one, that's a bad idea." Yeah. Two, if it weren't a bad idea, it's immoral, unethical, and probably fattening. Yeah. You know. And three, because I only have the third finger. Because I only have the third (laughs) finger. Fuck you. Yeah. Um, So. So, okay. You know this better than I. All right. They're the four humors. Yes. Which are tied to the four elements. Right. Uh, Johnny Storm uh, is yellow bile. Johnny Storm is fire yellow bile. Mm -hmm. Collar. Mm-hmm. Um, hot tempered tends toward impulsiveness. Tends toward impulsiveness. Extroverted, extroverted, ambitious, very extroverted. Very has no direction. Has just kind of no impulse control, no direction. Sees nothing. what's in front of him only. Yeah. Uh, Michelangelo of yeah. the Turtles. Yes, there you go. Yeah. Um, Samantha of uh, Sex in the City. Yes, you've you've watched that episode of uh, Cracked the uh, After Cracked, Hours. Yeah, after dark. Yeah, that's a good I'll, one. Yeah, By it the is. Way, it's a classic one. I'm gonna stick to the to the yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because that's my area of expertise. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, and then Sue is um, Air Blood. Blood. Yep. Uh, sanguine mm-hmm. character. Enthusiastic. Enthusiastic. Social. Social. Uh, wants to be part of the crowd. Wants to be part of the crowd. Cheerful, Everyone generally, generally cheerful. Mm-hmm. Everyone uh, wants to listen to her when yes. she speaks up with passion. Yes. Um, and then Reed is uh, Flam. phlegmatic. Yep. And boy uh, is he ever. And boy is he ever. Uh, the the you know uh, wet sweat sock on a shower rod of, yep. of any social situation he is he is the drip yep in any in any particular party he's easygoing but so he's, much in his own he's, world he's 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 just totally easygoing because mm-hmm. he doesn't care right um you know so it's the dark side of, of the easygoing mm-hmm. there doesn't um, show much emotion doesn't show much emotion good at analysis is restrained good at analysis very flexible. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we have the melancholic temper. Black bile. Black bile. Um, ben Grimm. A.K.A. Saturnine. Mm-hmm. Ben Grimm. Uh, very set in his ways. Very stolid. Very... Brooding. Uh, brooding. Deep very feeler. Dep- deep feeler. Mel- so, melancholic. I mean, yeah. that's, that's... We use uh, surprisingly, yeah to this day because he, he is struck by melancholy mm-hmm. on a regular basis. Tries to avoid Depressive, crowds. Tries to avoid crowds. Introverted. Uh-huh. Deep thinker, uh, though, surprisingly deep, very, so. Very, very deep thinker. You know, you, you wouldn't think it from his vocabulary or, or his chosen idiom, but a very deep thinker. And actually, Reed calls him out on that a few times. Oh, He's like, quit yeah, acting yeah, stupid. Stop acting You were an dumb. astronaut. Yeah, you were an astronaut. You know better than that. Yeah. He also interacts in an agitating manner toward Flem. Yes. So. Good point. Now, again, that's, I mean, it, the, the number yeah. four, right? Yeah. So here's the thing, though. The real thesis of this podcast is that the Fantastic Four are a critique of the staid, homogenous American middle class 1960s culture during yeah. the, the Cold War. Okay. They are what happens when you don't think. When you are just blindly loyal to a government and a society that is edging closer and closer to its own destruction. They're wow. a grotesque version of America in the 1960s. Their very grotesqueness was a result of their insistence on having to beat their ideological enemy physically. Their formation as a nuclear family in the nuclear age is due largely to the fact that they're trauma bonded together forever. Yeah. They can't get away from each other. There's no way I can't quit you. (laughs) Yeah. 
And really, they are the failure of America to honor its own promises. Okay. The number four? Yeah. For freedom speech. Oh, you're getting esoteric and okay. Post-war right. plans for the world. All and it was right. almost immediately reneged on domestically. Oh, well. Yeah. Due to racism and whitewashing. And, and whitewashing and God knows what all else. So yeah. here's what FDR said in 1941 in the yeah. State of the Union Address. Yes. See, he was allowed to have it there because he didn't shut mm-hmm. down the government. <laughs> We're not talking about that guy. Yeah. And he also put people into camps. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So. Yeah. In the future days which we seek to make secure, we look forward to a world founded upon four essential human freedoms. The first is freedom of speech and expression everywhere in the world. The second is freedom of every person to worship God in his own way everywhere in the world. The third is freedom from want, which translates into world terms, meaning economic understanding which will secure to every nation a healthy peacetime life for its inhabitants everywhere in the world. The fourth is the freedom from fear, which, translated into world terms, means a worldwide reduction of armaments to such a point and in such a thorough fashion that no nation will be in a position to commit an act of physical aggression toward any neighbor anywhere in the world. That is no vision of a distant millennium. It is a definite basis for a kind of world attainable in our own time and generation. That kind of world is the very antithesis of the so-called new order of tyranny, which the dictators seek to create with the crash of a bomb. To that order, to that new order, we oppose the greater conception, the moral order. A good society is able to face schemes of world domination and foreign revolutions alike without fear. That was 1941, 20 years later. Yeah, well, it was 1941. The, the I, I think, what... What FDR didn't have in front of him when he drafted that, mm-hmm. in I don't know if, if if in his defense is the right way to put this, but the the freedom from fear part, mm-hmm. he could not have foreseen the extent to which True. the development and the use mm-hmm. of the of nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. Like the, the truly super weapons, like yeah. like truly, you know, Bhagavad Gita. You know, I, I am become death destroyer right. of worlds. Like we drop one bomb and we destroy a city with one bomb. Right. You know, um, that was not. I mean, the, the program was underway, but they were nowhere near actually building anything yet in forty one. True. And so he could not have foreseen the extent to which that would completely change the dynamic yeah. between nation states true and especially between the united states and the soviet union because what you know the, the way the way the course of the war operated had a huge impact on mm-hmm. the extent to which the soviets were going to be perceived as any kind of a threat true you know and yeah. and so it's it's a it's a beautiful speech it's one of my favorite speeches out of out of american history mm-hmm. um but I, I think the idealism expressed in it ran headlong into a brick wall of, of some realities that made that really hard to be achievable. It almost fits better after World War One 
It's oh, like he was thinking World War One well, terms. You know what? What military historians always say is everybody yeah. fights the last that's war. That's true. That's true. You know, and that's exactly what happened at the beginning of World War One. Oh, absolutely. Maginot Line was a perfect example of that. The French were like, "Oh, you want a trench line, motherfucker? We yeah. got a trench line." Right. Right. You know, and the Germans went, "Yeah, that's great. Uh, we, we developed have... tanks at the end yeah. of the last war. Yeah. You may remember that you <laughs> used them on us. Right. Hey, we figured out how to make them a lot faster. Well, and if you go you back know, even further, you get World War One. It's like, oh my God! Like, what was their huge weapon there it was gas and the whole point of gas was to shorten the war yeah. because it would be so terrible that no yeah. one would use it which yeah. is exactly it's the same exactly logic the same logic that of wound up. every new weapon yeah well yes and the machine gun yes and the widespread use of the machine gun everybody went into world war one right with napoleonic tactics right they were they were fighting the u.s civil war yes when they went into world war one yeah. With cavalry charges mm-hmm. and you know horse artillery, mm-hmm. and all the same. I mean, the technology had yeah. not, and and frankly, digging in with trenches. Yeah, and, that and, was, and yeah. digging with trenches, which yeah. which was the change from truly Napoleonic warfare, right. which happened during the Civil War, right. which everybody went, we exported that. Oh wait, hold on, that works. Yeah, yeah. So you know, nobody, almost nobody, mm-hmm. with the, with the exception of uh, Hideki Tojo, mm-hmm. uh, or, um yeah, Admiral No. Yamamoto. Yamamoto. Mm-hmm. With the exception of Yamamoto, uh, almost nobody ever sees what the next war is going to look like. That's true. Clearly. That's very true. Uh, they always wind up viewing it through the lens of the last one. And that's that's not just generals, that's politicians. That's humans. I think that's people. Yeah. And I think that's 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 where FDR was coming from with that speech. Absolutely. And, you know, Absolutely. And, and the, the thing is, it still set a tone. Oh yeah, and it made a promise. Yes, that America reneged on. Yeah, and I think the Fantastic Four represent that reneging. That yeah. that we have this ideal, mm-hmm. and this is and this is what and we, we can't get it. Well, not not just we can't get it. In our in our attempt to get it, it we have in, perverted in ourselves. Our, in our attempts to get it, yeah. we have we have not only fallen short of the mark, mm-hmm. but we have become something. Grotesque. Grotesque. We have become something that is not in line with mm-hmm. the goal we want to achieve. You know, Richards is like, I want to get into space. I want to get to the moon. Right. Be the heroic, you know, yeah. space con- conqueror And look what it did to my family. And look what it does to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Look what it does to me. Well, and, and the Fantastic Four are forever striving for those goals, too, by yeah. the way. And they're often using the Skrulls and Doctor Doom and others to serve as a foil to that. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, when they succeed in the first three for themselves, mm-hmm. uh, they fail miserably when it comes to freedom of fear, mm-hmm. freedom from fear, and so is America. Yeah. I mean that that really that yeah. your your critique is dead on. The 1960s were a terrifying time oh, for well, Americans. Talk to, talk to our parents. Yes. Well, no. yeah, like you said in a previous like, like episode, your mom had my nightmares. Mother had nightmares about the Reds. Yeah, and who the hell were the Reds? What right. were the Reds? She didn't know. They and then we were watching shit to scare us more. Yeah, and we were reading about like it, we're letting little streams out in, yeah. in our comic books. Threats only got more and more existential for the Fantastic Four. By the way, they started by fighting the Mole Man. Yeah, who also wore purple and green. <laughs> and then they moved on to Doctor Doom and the Skrulls and Namor and Galactus. Like, the, they grew in their threat, and the solutions became more and more frightening to match. 
Yes, the solutions became more and more frightening. And, and technological. And the, yes, and the background tech of mm-hmm. ev- of their of their everyday lives. Yes. Wound up jumping up and up and up. You mm-hmm. know, they, they have the flying cars that mm-hmm. appear, and then they never go away. You know, because we got we got these whiz bang gadgets that we right. can use. Why would we ever not use them? Right. You know. Yeah. And and and, and I yeah. think I think additionally, there's an allegory there mm-hmm. for the beginnings of Future Shock, mm-hmm. which I think is a big part of what we are now dealing with in our generation now. Mm-hmm. Is in the 1960s was when that that acceleration curve of technological growth was beginning. Yeah, and so we see it here, and it it didn't reach critical mass and the point where you know we have all the problems we have today mm-hmm. with people not knowing how to cope with social media, not knowing how to connect anymore with each other because of the stuff that we're doing. Right. You know, and and we're now dealing with it having reached a critical mass. Mm-hmm. I think the the ever scaling up issue that you talk about with the with the Fantastic Four mm-hmm. is also prophetic of that. Absolutely. Simultaneously. Well, and there's a backdrop of fear that's increasing. Like the the it's the, just the, the, the background temperature is, is just is cranking going up, up and yeah. up and up and up. Yeah. Like there's a lobster in a always pool. yeah. There's always a grand and brand new threat, the likes of which we've never seen before. Because why else would you buy a comic book? Yeah. To see them beat the same guy again? Yeah. No, he's got to have a cool weapon yeah. or he's got to go travel in time or something. Yeah. It echoes the gro- growth of nuclear power, though. Yeah. First it was the atomic bomb. Then a more powerful version of the atomic bomb. Then the hydrogen bomb. Then a more powerful version of that. Then on and on and on. Different delivery system, different proximity to our shores, different spy attempts, etc. The fear was such a part of our popular culture that in 1961, <laughs> Twilight Zone had an episode titled The Shelter. Oh, yeah. And my favorite part was the quote with Rod Serling at the end. No moral, no message, no prophetic tract, just a simple statement of fact. For civilization to survive, the human race has to remain civilized. Tonight's very small exercise in logic from the Twilight Zone. You know, Serling... They also could, explored this yeah. again in 62 about fallout yeah. shelters, by the way. Yeah. But go on. Yeah, Serling, it's it's really remarkable. Uh, Stephen King in, mm-hmm. in The Dance Macabre devotes a lot of ink mm-hmm. to talking about Serling and, and The Twilight Zone. And, and one of the things he points out is uh, there were times that Serling was able to be really, really cutting. Yes. And really, you know, uh, it's really clear he's, he's dropping an anvil... Yep, but but the way he pulls it off is like he, masterful. You and look were, and you're like, oh shit, that animal's oh, always been there. Holy crap! Yeah. yeah, you know. And then there are other episodes where it's 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 still I'm dropping an anvil on this, yeah. but it's so ham fisted. Yes, you know, it's a product of its times. Yeah, you yeah. know, uh, he he had an episode uh, that he wrote. It was uh-huh. one of Sterling's episodes. Uh, that was um, the sun not rising. Mm-hmm. The sun didn't come up over the horizon. Uh-huh. And we don't know why, we don't know how, whatever, right. we don't know what's going on, oh my God, and all the terror and everything that comes from that. But you hear in a radio broadcast in the background mm-hmm. that the darkness seems particularly thick in Alabama, Georgia, 
Oh Florida. wow! I mean, I gotta go watch is, that one again. Yeah, it is. That's great. It is, it is a like no no. I'm not just gonna be on the nose. I'm gonna <laughs> grab your nose and rip it the fuck <laughs> off your face. That's awesome. This is about racism and segregation. Nice. We're all living in darkness, but some of us are even worse than the rest. That's great. You know, and and King. In Vance Bacop, which, by the way, if you haven't read it, it's it's a wonderful treatise on writing and storytelling. It's where I first got the idea of Apollonian Dionysius. Okay. Is how he describes the dynamic of any good horror story. Sure. The conflict between those two forces. And uh, so, yeah, talking about, you know, those fears and those those issues. Yeah. Serling was awesome. Yeah. And and he always swung for the fences. Yes, he did. And sometimes... He he knocked it out of the park, and sometimes he went when he whiffed. He whiffed, whiffed hard. hard. This is true. So, yeah, um, yeah. We should. We we've got episodes we could do on oh, episodes. Lord, yeah. Um, yeah. so in the late 1950s and early 1960s, 40 percent of Americans were seriously considered building fallout shelters. Yeah. Duck and cover drills and film reels were ubiquitous in schools. Yep. Uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis happened, which served largely to depress everyone's uh, psyche about the efficacy of fallout shelters. <laughs> like, it killed the market. Uh, t- so then they turned them into swimming pools and Pretty rec cool. rooms and cellars. Oh, yeah. 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 And they just accepted that Galactus is going to come someday and eat the planet when he finally feels like it. Yeah. And the fear turns into accepting dread. Which is, you know, what we grew up with. Yeah. Uh, one of my high school, te- well, I didn't have him as a teacher in high school. He was one of my master teachers later on after uh-huh. graduating from college. Um, he used to make a joke mm-hmm. of uh, the uh, safety information that he was supposed to read to his classes at the beginning of the year. Yes. And, you know, in case of a nuclear attack, and he would always point out, by the way, we are mere miles from a known Soviet target, which was the Miramar Naval Air Station. Oh, okay. Which was five miles if that from mm-hmm. my high school and he said so here's the deal what what the drill tells you to do is get under your desk and duck and cover and all this i know where this um, is going what i'm gonna do mm-hmm. and you can expect me to do it is i'm gonna stand in the doorway and i'm gonna do this mm-hmm. and by the way i'm flashing the finger he says how's that for a message to the future <laughs> that was that was his <laughs> there <laughs> because, you go because you know what we're gonna die if yeah. that happens, duck and cover all you want to. We're close enough that it's not going to make any difference. My, my dad grew up in duck and cover days, and yeah. he flat out said, he's like, as eight-year-olds, and I think I talked about this in previous yeah, episode, yeah. as eight-year-olds, we even knew that putting your head between your knees was just so you could kiss your ass goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. So. So. so the Fantastic Four. The Fantastic Four. Not able to protect themselves. Or New York. And therefore, that held up the mirror to us. Accidentally. This was not what the authors had in mind. No. But they were not able to protect themselves from the Cold War's greatest disease. Unrelenting fear. Okay. It corroded the family's very dynamic. Yeah. Turning suburban middle class America into a grotesque exercise in frantic normality. Oh, I like that turn of phrase. Me too. Yeah, that's good. And it never quite worked. No. And the Fantastic Four never quite worked. And that's the thesis. That's that's why the Fantastic Four is gross and it works. Yeah. So what do you think? You you have convinced me. Ah, go for Um, it. You know, the thing I take away from all that is Mm -hmm. that uh, when we we talk about Tolkien 
it's going to be interesting. Yeah. That, um, in, in kind of a similar way, um, Tolkien said in later in his life that he had a cordial dislike of allegory. Okay. Didn't, didn't like the term. Uh, he insisted to anybody who listened that he wrote the Lord of the Rings as mm-hmm. a fairy story and a mythology for England. Okay. He didn't, he, you know, but um, I blame the Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. uh, for my Catholicism <laughs> um, because it, it is, and, and he admitted mm-hmm. that, that when he looked at the story and then went back and did edits and rewrites, mm-hmm. he consciously recognized that there was a, he said, it is a very Catholic story. Right. He like and, looks back at it and goes, "Oh shit, I see where I was yeah, coming from." Yeah, I see from. what I did. Yeah. Okay, all right, you know. And and you know, his definition of the nature of evil, right. his, I mean, you know, uh Samwise Gamgee is the perfect Christian, yeah. you know, okay. all, all these all these things. Yeah. He 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 knew they were there. What he said was, "I don't like allegory. I prefer to think of and right now I'm blanking on the term because I've got cold brain, but um it's it's essentially substitution." That, that you can take one thing and substitute it for another. Oh, okay. And even though he didn't set out to write mm-hmm. an allegory, that was not his goal or his intention, he couldn't help but do it. And Kirby and Lee and Ditko when he came on, yep. and all of the other writers and all of the other creators that were involved, the things that we're talking about, about Reed Richards' You know, just inherent, blatant, oh my God, sexism that yeah. to us is as plain as the beards on our faces. Right. Was, it was the water they swam in. It was yep. just, that was the way things were. Um, and the archetypes that they were creating. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when, when people create mythical archetypes, it's very rare for them to consciously be creating mythical archetypes. That's, that is a product of the modern era and Joseph Campbell having said, oh, hey, look, this is how all this stuff works. That's true. And writers look at that and going, well, crap, now I have an outline. Awesome. <laughs> you know, yeah. before that, you know, they didn't, they didn't know from the heroic journey. They didn't, you know, that hadn't been written yet. Right. Um, but, but these themes. But it always had been. But it always had been. Yeah. And these, it, it hadn't, it hadn't, a mirror hadn't been held up to it. Right. And so they subconsciously were mirroring, yeah, everything that was going on in their own in their own id, yeah, you know, with with all of these things, and well, and so it's it's just it's fascinating to me because I could have read all these stories and I just said, oh my god, Reed is such a fucking sexist, yeah, oh my god, Ben, you know, step out of it, go see a therapist, figure it out, yeah, you know? yeah. Um, you know, uh, Sue, like I said, I want to wake gibs, up, lady, come on, slapper, wake up, you know, come on. Yeah. Uh, you can do so much better than this for <laughs> right. God's sakes. You know, you see a therapist too. Yeah. You know, and, and Johnny, just, just go jump in the lake. Just sit down and shut up. Yeah. Kid for God's sake, cause I'm a teacher and teenagers do that too. <laughs> but you know, um, you meathead, knock it off. Yeah. Um, you know, but I, I wouldn't. Until you pointed this out, and this is the reason I've been so excited to hear this one, because you, uh-huh. you shared this thesis with me months ago. Yeah. And I've been eager to hear about this, because the moment you said it, I went, oh, wait. <laughs> and and so, again, it's mm-hmm. an issue of, of, now that this mirror has been held up to it, it's obvious. Right. You like can't you unsee said, it. where has that anvil been this whole time? Right. You know. Right. It's been in the house the whole time. You know. <laughs> Um, and, and I think, um, that's, that for me gets to what's fun about doing these recordings. Yeah. 
you know, and and this is this is one of those brilliant examples of like, oh, oh, hey, I hadn't seen it like that until now, and now I won't ever be able to unsee it. Right. Which is the case of the Fantastic Four will probably make me more interested in reading the comics. Yeah, they might actually admit, be interesting now. Yeah, I, yeah. I have never been a, a Fantastic Four fan, but now looking at it with this paradigm in mind. Mm-hmm. I could go back and read them. They're, yeah, they're actually kind of fun to read. I yeah. mean, you know, it just it is. Yeah. Um, I, I must say that not all of these ideas were my own. Okay. Uh, I went out and did the research and yeah. found other people who said it way more organized and, and whatnot. And yeah. and so there is a hodgepodging that happened yeah. there. Oh yeah. Um, of uh, various sources, I read someone's like. I don't know if it was like a master's thesis or just like an end of semester project or something. Okay. But it was a really good literary literary analysis of it. Um, okay. I don't know the name of the person, but thank you, whoever you were. Okay. Um, it was it was excellent, um, and it really helped me kind of just drill down on some central themes. Okay, um, the number four figured big okay. into theirs. Um, my my abilities as, as an historian enabled yeah, me yeah, to, yeah. to dig deeper on tie, other things, but in. it is by no means a, a, a Damien Harmony original oh, yeah, no. at, at all. So, uh, okay, well, um, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you got any books uh, that you want to recommend on our way out? Um, well, I'm I'm currently reading uh, How the Scots Built the Modern World. Okay, which is uh, about as jingoistic, culturally jingoistic as as you can catch, but it is also fascinating. And I think there's there are some interesting arguments to be made mm-hmm. uh, based on the fact that Scotland started out as the poorest nation in Western Europe, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, as part of the United Kingdom, mm-hmm. uh, Scots went on to take a leadership role in the world's largest empire. Mm-hmm. All over the world as engineers, inventors, right, and you know trailblazers. That's and why so, James Doohan played Scotty. Yeah, yeah, you know. So nice. So that's for me. What do you got going on? Well, I'm currently reading Mary Beard's SPQR. Yeah, I see that on the yeah. On the counter it's fun, I, and I I have a stack there. There's that one and the Star Wars one. And oh, nice. I was just like, no, nah, I'm going to go Rome because, okay. uh, you know, I, I'm teaching it and all. Yeah. Um, but it's it's fun. She basically starts in the year 63 when Cicero goes after Catiline, and she ends oh, in nice. the year 2012, uh, not 2012, 212. 212. All right. Um, when Caracalla grants citizenship to everyone. And so, and she's making some really interesting arguments about okay. it. Okay, so it's a, it's a lot of fun. In her in her particular writing style, mm-hmm. is very entertaining. It I, is. I've seen the stuff very she accessible. did for the BBC, and she's oh yeah, a, a treasure. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, well, great. Um, until next time, I'm Damien Harmony, and I'm Ed Blaylock. Oh, you know what? Before we do that, yeah. we should probably plug our Twitter. Oh, yes. Um, yes. So if you have any questions, if you have any critiques, if you think that we were wrong on something, or if you want to post a link to any articles that you're like, hey, that sounds familiar, um, hit us up at, at Geek History Time, or uh, you could hit me up at, at Duh Harmony. And you can hit me up at, at E.H. Blaylock. There you go. So until next time, I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock, and keep rolling 20s.